Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 74, The Blood Before the Pain. I'm Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy Matt for 74 episodes in a row. And for the 74th time, here is what we are reading today. <laughs> we are actually finishing up. This is the final episode of our Feast Dance read-through. Okay, so we've only got four chapters today, but they are dang good ones. We're finally jumping back after, I don't know, a handful of episodes of No Feast for Crows. We're jumping back into the final chapter of that book, which is Samwell 5. Then we're going to jump over to Dance, where we're going to read the epilogue. uh, Then backtrack a little bit to the Queen's Hand, and then finally finish off with Daenerys 10. Guys, we made it to the end. Scad, we made it to the end! We're, we made it to the end, and you know, it's a good thing that George just finished Winds of Winter, so we can just jump right back into that next. Mm. Oh. Oh. Mm. <laughs> we talked about this on Twitter today, but I do remember talking between uh, myself, you, Scad, and Brooke about, uh, we were like making plans and everything, we're like, oh, it'll probably take us a good four or five years to read through all the published books. Then by then, When's a Winter will for sure be out, and then yeah. we'll read that one. And then by then, I bet Dream of Spring will be pretty darn close. We might have to do some filler stuff by then, but uh, yeah, we should get yeah. to it pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we thought that that Winds would come out like three years in, and that's about when we'd finish. Maybe maybe it'd take us a little longer, and mm-hmm. then because you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but the very first episode of Davos Fingers, we actually covered six chapters instead of five, and so that would have sped us up a little bit. When we were thinking about how quickly we'd finish. So we, we thought we'd finish a little earlier than this. But yeah. uh, we also thought Wins would be released, you know, a year or two ago. And th- then we'd cover Wins. And then then that'd be, you know, three or four years to catch up. And by then, Dream of Spring would be out. And uh, we're not there, friends. And so nope. other plans have been made. Yes, they have. So that's a beautiful segue, Scad. Totally unplanned, but well done. Uh The plans are, as we announced in our last episode, that we are going to take the summer off. After four years, uh, we just need some time to pursue other things. So we're going to take a couple of months off. We haven't even discussed a return date. And don't let that scare you guys. I know that sometimes if you don't have a firm plan in place, nothing ends up happening. I can assure you we will be back. Uh, But we uh, look for us the end of summer, early fall perhaps. Um, sometime in September we talked about, right? But Yeah, sometime in September was, I think, the language used, um, yep. which, yeah, who knows exactly when, but it, we are coming back, don't worry, uh, short of death, I think we'll be back. Um, you know, we're, we, Matt and I, we cannot get enough of each other, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I it, for, for me, if I could just get personal for a minute, I mean, it, it's a... In a in a life that is full of job stuff and family stuff, uh, you know, and and not frankly not a lot of friends and not a lot of time with friends, this podcast gives me a chance to just have fun talking with people for a, talking with people. See, I think they're I think they're here with us, Matt. That's talking how it feels, with baby. Someone, we love it. Yeah, <laughs> talking with someone about something that I love without any kind of any interruptions we talk for three hours and i don't i'm not interrupted and it's just it's a nice reprieve from life and honestly i can't i said this to twitter to somebody today i don't remember maybe it was facebook 
I can't I can't imagine my life without this podcast. So I'm coming back, even if it's talking to an empty mic. You know, I'm coming back. So don't yeah, miss us for a couple months. We'll be back. <laughs> we will be back. You won't have to worry about the empty mic chat. But I agree. That's good. You know, there's a it's a huge part of our life now, and and you know we've it's a decision we made. Sometimes I go, oh my gosh, there's so many other things I could be working on if I wasn't writing this chapter summary right now. <clears throat> but it's a decision yeah. we've made, and it's a hugely rewarding one. Uh, yeah, been a fantastic journey with with Brooke and with you, Scad, and don't have anyone else I'd rather be doing it with. So, absolutely, right there with you, man. Uh, what we're gonna do after we come back from the break, everybody, is we are going to read the Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which yeah. is the uh, Duncan Egg novellas, the three novellas that George has written uh, surrounding those two characters, and I am really really looking forward to it um i know scad you are too i i think we just talked about this i think it's going to be a nice kind of palate cleanser from the heaviness that is a song of ice and fire um and it'll be fun to explore kind of these new stories so i'm looking forward to it yeah absolutely we got an email from eric uh blood rider eric kind of indicating the same thing uh, that would be a nice kind of departure from the main series for us and I think we we both agree, and we're excited. I've only read Duncan Egg one time, and uh, I remembered enough that uh, I was supremely inspired by Rowan Weber, and uh, I'm excited to get back to the whole story and uh, remember more of it, because I, I, I just kind of remember scattered details, to be honest. And yeah, I'm, th- I'm thrilled. I can't find my damn book, so i got to like flip couches over, because I don't know where it is, but... I'm excited. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, you got time to find so, it. Speaking of that time, what are you going to do with it? Uh, everything I haven't done for the past year, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to read something other than a song of ice and fire. Yeah, I haven't read. I think I was trying to think about this the other day. I think the last book that I read that was not a song of ice and fire was the. Uh, King Killer Chronicles, that first book, whatever it's called. Name of the Wind. Name of the Wind, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the last book I read, and it was over our short Christmas break that I worked on it. So, yeah, it's tragic, man. It's tragic. So uh, I've already got my first book queued up. It's actually not fiction for once. I found a great book by one of my idols, one of my pop culture idols, which is Quest Love of the Roots. I freaking right. love that guy. And he wrote a book about um, accessing Quests. your cre- creativity. It's all actually called Creative Quest. And it's about... It is act- about quests. It's about how right. he's he, he's got his hands in all sorts of different ventures and endeavors and stuff like that, aside from music. Gross. You wouldn't believe where those <laughs> fingers have been. And uh, I know personally... Just even. Oh boy! Sounds like you could help write the book. Yeah, I probably could. Actually, the foreword was written by me. So, all right. Creative Quest by Questlove, foreword by Matt Thacker of Davos Fingers. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's all about accessing your creative side and acknowledging where your creativity comes from and all this different stuff, and it's really fascinating to me. Um, 
And I think that's fascinating to me because the other big thing I want to work on, which is writing music. It seems like I always talk about writing music and I have nothing to show for it. And part of it is because I just don't have any time. So I'm really looking forward to um, taking that time to really focus on writing some songs and getting the getting the stories out there that I have bouncing around in my head. Uh, I feel really good wow. about, I've got about... Um, seven or eight songs that I feel real good about and hopefully you can put something together with that well I heard two already and uh thought they were pretty great so I wouldn't say I have nothing to show for them I know <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the perfectionist you are doesn't feel like they're ready or anything but I thought they were pretty pretty awesome at least for a start well thank you it gets to that point I I was inspired by a thing I heard recently that was uh it was in Portuguese, so I'm going to have trouble with the translation, but it said, you know, an an imperfect novel that is on the shelves of a bookstore is infinitely better than the perfect novel that stays stuck on a computer for a lifetime. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm, I know exactly what you mean. And uh... <laughs> if only George were hearing that. <laughs> maybe i don't know we want george to be we're perfect just, but... we're just putting it out there we're just putting it out <laughs> I, I say that with extreme irony given the the twitter exchange i got into this afternoon but um yeah no it's uh th- th- there's something to be said for that it doesn't mean just you... chuck it yeah it doesn't mean like just throw in the towel and put crap out there but right. there does come a point where it's like you could you could perfect something perfect something perfect something forever and there comes yep. a point where you just got to go, you know what? This is really great. I'm going to just put it out there and see what happens. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole so. business philosophy around the fact that nothing's ever perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that they're just like degrees and uh, stages of perfection. And that if you wait for perfect, you'll never release anything, at least from a software perspective. Totally. Uh, so, yeah. Good point. yeah, I mean, there's, I think that can apply to a lot of things. Not that I'm calling on George to release something uh, not perfect, but... Yeah, agreeing with you that you can keep something forever with the excuse that it's not quite perfect, but sometimes getting it out there is what you need to do. Yep. Anyway, I'm Anyways, excited that's for me. you to write some music. What are uh, your planos? Uh, well, uh, less ambitious than yours, probably. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> at my first plan, uh, which is Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a book which I've had since Christmas that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think myself as well. My reread of Name of the Wind was the last thing I read outside of these books. Well, look but, at us. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Um, but I forgot that Leia, Princess of Alderaan, was written by Claudia Gray, and I mm-hmm. saw it and I was like, I'm really excited again to read this book because I remembered how much I loved Lost Stars. So right. that's where I'm going to start. I am going to pick up A Night of the Seven Kingdoms again. Uh, because uh, I want to refresh it and have more than one read under my belt before we go in and analyze it deeply. So I'm going to do that. And uh, back, to, back to D&D a little bit. My campaign floundered a little bit, but it's coming coming back, so I'm going to focus focus on, on putting some good time into developing a, a nice arc for all of my player characters. Oh, uh, very good. And, uh, yeah, so not, not nearly as ambitious as yours, but I, I do plan to, to use it to catch up on some reading and some other things yeah oh it's gonna be so nice man we're gonna read books this is gonna be great yes that's what i plan to do after Double. the the quest love book is also dig back into star wars i can't wait to yes. dig back into star wars 
Yeah, I mean, they keep releasing books as the Disney machine is wont to do. And uh, yes, sir, uh, we uh, we can't keep up. <laughs> nope, <It's> too fast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's your break. Yeah, speaking cool. of the Disney machine, I did speaking see. Speaking uh, of the Disney machine, I did see Solo finally. Mm-hmm. I know we had we had one blood rider, Julie, who was begging us to to review Solo. I don't think we're going to get to do that. It's been too long, but uh, to finger Solo, but. Uh, I did just want to share a few thoughts about it. And I know you probably have some thoughts to share too. Han is your second favorite character, I think, if I remember right. Next and to next to next to his next to uh, Wedge. Next to his planetary brother. They're both from Corellia. Well, I forgot Wedge was from Corellia. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Corellia, man, what a pit. I didn't ima- I, I imagine it being like an a, um, an industrial city, like a full of factories and stuff, but I didn't imagine it being so downtrodden. Yeah, maybe we only saw the 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 ugly maybe we underbelly. Did, the slums. Maybe? It's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we only yeah. saw the slums. It's true. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I I don't know what you thought. I loved it, and maybe I went in with uh, with some low expectations given the box office numbers, which people keep harping on. But I was in it from moment one to to moment finish and uh i love it. i think it's my fourth favorite star wars movie excellent I, so if if you, we were to finger this movie how many fingers would you give that sucker i i think i'd give it all three and it, that isn't to say it's a perfect film there are flaws for sure um several of them but it just it felt star wars it gave me it, what i went into that picture looking for is just more about how, how han became han and it mm-hmm. gave me that in space it gave you that and, right and I believe I believed in uh, Alden Ehrenreich's performance. You know, it wasn't you know it wasn't perfect. You know, Harrison Ford imitation Han, but that's not really what I was looking for. I thought he delivered the hopeful, youthful Han uh, believably. And uh, yeah, man, I loved it. I, I loved it. Great! I'm glad. Yeah, is this going to be the first film that I give a higher rating to than you did? Uh, nope, I give it three. Oh, great! We've been. I was so I've, afraid you were going to say you hated it. Yeah, Scad and I have. It's been hard not talking to each other about it, but um, so all yeah, right. I think, I think I rank it right up there, right up there behind the original three. I know it will fall behind Rogue One for you too, but yeah, I think I'd probably. I haven't thought about where I'd place it in a con, where I'd place it in the pantheon of Star Wars films. Yeah, uh, definitely behind the first three, which would put it behind Rogue One as well. But then it's right there in the middle after that. So yeah. definitely Great. above Last Jedi, probably above The Force Awakens. Yeah, above The Force Awakens as well. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Put it at a solid five somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Well, there you go. Our impromptu, with no prep, uh, fingering of Han Solo. If you like that, check out our Patreon, where we finger films pretty regularly. <laughs> Hey, Kalisar, this is Matt in the editing room. We talked a lot more about Solo, a Star Wars story, but we cut it out in the interest of time and getting to the actual content of the podcast. So if you want to hear more on that, keep listening to the end of the podcast, and we attached the rest of our conversation to the outtake section. See you there. All right. Uh, okay. Should we jump back to... Did you see Ant-Man yet? No, no, I haven't seen Ant-Man okay, yet. Okay, we won't talk wanna... about it then. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe we can actually finger that one. Uh, I would love that. Okay. Uh, one thing I, I mentioned Patreon, I should come back to. Uh, we are going on a break for those of you that aren't that are patrons. Uh, we will be pausing that campaign while we're gone and kicking it back up probably in September. Matt and I will talk about that as that as that gets closer, but we will pause that uh, at least for August, um, maybe September too, and we'll we'll see where we head up. So. Yeah. No content means we shouldn't be. You shouldn't be paying us for content. Right. Absolutely. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Although, uh, speaking of, I, I didn't put this in the announcements, and I totally just remembered it now. Um, one thing we will be releasing during the break is the second set of music oh, POV yeah. jingles that, we, right. that we've got. Um, I haven't released any since. Uh, well, we've got one album out now on Bandcamp. Um just search for wall of Dodgers I- Fingers. A wall yep. of Courtly Asses, yeah. Yep. Uh, on Bandcamp, search for Davos Fingers and you'll find it. And it's got all the POVs from Game of Thrones to Clash of Kings. So all those first ones in the first book. And then I think just Theon and Davos were the only new ones for Clash of Kings. So everything from Storm of Swords on to now, um, we haven't put out yet. Uh, so I will be putting that out on Bandcamp at some point during this break. Um That'll have the Jamie one. It'll have all these new ones, uh, and and we'll see what else. But the way that we have it set up on Bandcamp is a pay what you want for it. Um, you can name your own price, and then you download the MP3 files, all of them. And uh, heck, if you don't have anything that you can donate monetarily, you can just download them for free. There's an option to do that there too. So either way, we just want you guys to have them if you want them. And also, if you're a patron, they're on the Patreon site as well. Put them there too, right? Yes, yes. Um, I know if you look at the tags on the left-hand side of our Patreon page, there's one that's like jingles or or something or music. Yeah, and if you click on that, it'll take you to it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next, next the announcement. I know, guys, we're getting to the content soon. Give us, give us a minute. Uh, Ice and Fire Con. So I've talked about this a few times. Uh, we have decided to be uh, what are called fan favorites at Ice and Fire Con, which means that the Davos Fingers podcast will be a little bit more involved. We'll actually host a, uh, a panel uh, for our podcast for people to come come talk to us about and format to be determined. But uh, we'll be involved in some other content there and hosting some some things at, at the con itself. So if you're interested in, uh, in seeing at least me there, Matt's, uh, Matt's still up in the air on that. But uh, if you're interested in seeing at least Scad there and honestly everyone else that's awesome even maybe more than us uh you know check it out you can use our code fingers uh at checkout for five bucks off uh if you do that they know that you know you heard it from you heard about it from us here at Davos fingers so if you want a good ice and fire con check it out it's a great experience and uh we will be a little bit more featured next year if that thing uh can tilt the ta- tilt the table at all for you yeah how pretentious of us! We've decided to be fan favorites. Well, they were they they invited us to do it, and uh, <laughs> we talked about it. There was there was some hesitation just to tell the real story. There's some hesitation because we don't know whether Matt's going to be able to go or not. Right. And you know, representing the whole podcast just myself seems wrong because you know Matt is half of the podcast and it feels wrong. But Matt gave me his blessing, and so you know, even if he can't make it, we'll we'll make it work somehow. So absolutely. Uh, okay, last last announcement. Um, so we're going on break. Um, we won't be doing Davos Fingers here for a couple months, but 
we will be trying something new and a little different uh, very soon. So one more announcement. Matt and Scat will be trying, yeah, something a little different. We're going to be joining a good friend of mine named Mary. Uh, Mary is actually the, you've heard us talk about the term reach around. Mary is the person that uses the term reach around in this way. So Mary has invited us to try a YouTube series that we will hope will capture some of the nostalgia magic of, you know, 80s movies and things in a bottle. It's called The Re-Reviewers. It's going to come at you sometime probably in August, and we'll focus on, it's just going to be the three of us removing, reviewing, re-reviewing uh, movies from the 80s with, you know, like a fresh spin. So our first project, The Karate Kid, a classic. Uh, more info coming on social media about when and where and how, but it'll be on YouTube, so you'll get to see our ugly mugs. And uh, yeah, Dabo's Fingers will continue unimpeded, uh, un unaffected by this. It's just a little side thing that'll be uh, fun for us to go watch some old movies and talk about them together. So that's kind of the last announcement. So if you're looking for something during the break to, to get your fill, uh, that'll be coming at you sometime during the break. So keep an eye, keep an eye open for that. So I'm going to have to actually wear clothes when we record that. Well, I didn't say that. Uh, well, maybe just a shirt, at least. I mean, look... <laughs> This is video, so you may be recognized. So however you want to present yourself, Matt, is how you should present yourself. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we are spoiler-free until the end of this podcast for a special segment we call Davos After Dark. What's left? Well, we Not almost, much. We almost, yeah. <laughs> we almost just did away with this segment. Uh because after this novel, we've covered everything. Um, but, you know, there are a few, you know, spoilery, theory-based things, uh, wins a winner things. That, so we decided to keep it around and uh, go into some more heavy theorizing at the end. So Davos After Dark still exists for the 74th episode in a row. And uh, wait for it, we'll warn you with the jingle in case you want to get off because you don't want Winds of Winter spoilers at all, maybe. Otherwise, mm -hmm. just stick with us for your first Davos After Dark ever. That's true. Yep. Uh, and hey guys, we love hearing from you as always. Uh, the best, one of the best parts about doing all of this is the friendships we've made with you guys. We love chatting with you and all of that. So reach out to us continually, even throughout the break, we'll be checking all of our different uh, social media platforms and everything. So you can find us at DavosFingers.com. You can email us at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. We're always on Twitter, which is Davos, uh, at DavosFingers, and we're on Facebook too. Um, we won't, we're not closing up shop. We'll still be here. So shoot us emails, contact us on Twitter. We're still here, you know. So, yeah. All right, you ready to get this thing started, Matt? Yes, let's do this thing. The blood before the pain. Uh, we are starting with Samwell 5, and that's me. Do it up. Let's do it, baby. You don't think that you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Samuel Tarly, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Samuel, boy, this world was made for you. Sam and Gilly, aboard the Cinnamon Wind, have safely navigated the ironborn infested Redwine Straits and have finally arrived at Old Town. It kind of feels like when Frodo and Sam arrived outside of Mordor, like they've gone through so much just to get there, 
but now the hard work really starts. Uh, they find Old Town in a bit of kind of a frantic state. You see ironborn reavers who had previously raided only in small groups that would strike quickly and disappear are now making their way closer and closer to Old Town in a coordinated effort, sending hundreds of ships against the tiny defensive force left to protect Old Town after the rest of the Redwine fleet was dispatched to Dragonstone and the siege there. The High Towers... Uh, seem to be making emergency preparations to more forcefully fight back against the Ironborn. But even so, corpses litter the water of the Whispering Sound, and every arriving ship is boarded by Old Town officials to verify its uh, non-Ironbornness. They are counting the days for the return of Paxter Redwine and his fleet, and Sam empathizes with their plight, thinking if King's Landing loses Old Town in the arbor, the whole realm will fall to pieces. That's intense. They come ashore, and Sam explains his plans to Gilly. He's going to head to the Citadel, home base of the Maesters, to present John's letters and inform them of Amon's passing. Then he's going to arrange transport for Gilly to Horn Hill, Sam's home, his old stomping ground. And you'll remember he plans for her to stay with her child, there at Horn Hill for at least the foreseeable future under the pretense that she is the mother to Sam's bastard child. With that, Sam sets off for the Citadel. He arrives at the Seneschal's court there, tells the front desk dude why he's there, and in classic DMV fashion is asked to wait until someone, and this is a quote, until someone wants to see him. While waiting, he is joined by a comely youth who introduces himself as Alaris, sometimes called the Sphinx. Remember that name from somewhere? Small talk as to why a member of the Night's Watch would travel clear to Old Town eventually turns into Sam spilling his sizable guts, telling Alaris everything. John's plans, Stannis and Melisandre, Mance and the Wildlings, the Whites, the Others, their voyage aboard the Cinnamon Wind, even Amon's final words regarding Daenerys, concluding as Amon had that Daenerys is their only hope against the Others and that a master a maester must be sent to her to bring her back to Westeros before it's too late. Now this uh, Alaris listens intently, then declares that the Seneschal will never believe him. But Alaris can take Sam to someone who will. So they make their way to the north tower of the Isle of Ravens, the oldest building at the Citadel, where they are ushered into the quarters of one Archmaester Marwyn, called the Mage by many. We've heard Marwyn's name thrown out in these books, but this is the first time we've met him. He looks more like a dockside thug than a maester, and his quarters were unkempt, lit only by, lit only by a queer tall black candle that amplified the brightness of white colors in the room and the darkness of blacks. Dragonglass, Marwyn explains, saying that the candle burns but is not consumed, a mystery as mysterious as what feeds a dragon's fire. Valyrian sorcerers use the candles to enter a man's dream and give him visions to speak to others anywhere in the world, as long as that person also had a candle. Uh, anyways, Marwyn asks Sam to repeat everything he told Alaris, which Sam does, again concluding that Daenerys is their Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
or she is the one to which the prophecy refers. I read that in Samuel Jackson's voice all the time. Uh, so the prophecy says. That was a terrible Samuel L. Jackson. Marwin reiterates Wasn't his mistrust. Great. Nope. <laughs> I'll work on it, okay? All right. Marwin reiterates his mistrust of prophecy while letting Sam in on, on a little secret. The Citadel wants nothing to do with magic, with prophecy, with dragons. I mean, who do you think orchestrated the killing of all the dragons the first time around? And why do you think a brilliant mind like Amon was sent to the wall? He concludes that he himself will go to Daenerys. He instructs Sam to tell the other archmaesters simply that Amon had sent him to the Citadel to forge his chain, and then he instructs him to do just that. Forge your own chain as quickly as possible, he warns, so as to return to service on the wall where he will no doubt be needed. And don't mention anything of prophecies and dragons to the archmaesters, okay? Uh, Marwyn charges Alaris to keep an eye on Sam, and then Marwyn heads for the docks. Another novice, who'd been in Marwyn's chambers with him when Sam arrived, been there that whole time, offers him the sleeping cell next to his own. Sam instinctively mistrusts the otherwise innocent-looking youth, but he accepts and introduces himself. The youth, in turn, introduces himself as Pate, like the pig boy. And that is not only the end of the chapter, but the end of A Feast for Crows. Bam! End of book. Yeah, end of book. Not yet end of podcast. Uh, I love this chapter. Yeah? And I hate it. What do you love about Uh, it? Well, because we've we've long... We've long felt like there was something going on with the Maesters. Mm -hmm. We've long wanted more information from Old Town, and the last thing we got here was in the friggin' prologue of this same book, right? Yeah. We haven't seen anything since then. And we're just... Uh, this this list lifts a little bit of the covers on the Maesters. And I love it for doing so. And yet I hate it for not doing enough. <laughs> I I feel... I feel... I got blue balls, Matt. I want, I want more. I want... I... Okay, so let's just talk specifically... Amon went to the wall because it was as a conspiracy by the maesters to get him out of the way. Amon himself tells John that he went there to not be a coup threat to his brother. Right? It's what he says. So, but Amon's not a. Why would he? Dude, why would Amon need to lie? You're going to upset me, Matt. Amon yeah. is not a liar. Yeah. <laughs> why would he need right? to lie to John? I agree with you. Yeah. So who's so, right? I don't know. I mean, I. I like this Marwin guy. I do. I like him. He's a man seeking knowledge. He's not idle about it. He's got books and maps everywhere. He's lighting candles to spy on people. More on that later. I mean, he is he is not an idle guy. And I, I kind of like him. He seems intense. He seems like he's got a goal and he's trying to go after it. And maybe it looks like it aligns with Sam's goals, which I feel like are good. I don't know. But... They're either good or, or bad out of, you know, naivete or something. But the point is, this makes me not trust him. Because I believe Amon told John the truth. Well, uh, Marwin strikes me as someone... What? 
I guess you could say it's both. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Marwin strikes me as, as a bit of someone who might suffer from a bit of, maybe a little bit of paranoia, might be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. Mm. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if he that is his thoughts on why Amon was at the wall. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I like Marwin, too. He, you said he's a man of action. Dude, when that dude decided he was going to go to Daenerys, that's a big trip. That's like something that requires yeah. some planning. And he just, like, left. He didn't pack he a didn't bag. He didn't even take yeah, no spare underwear just in case. <laughs> he just, just in walked case shit out the happens, door. Literally. Yep. And he's like, well, he's gone. That's what he does. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Kind of nuts. So he's he is kind of a breath of fresh air from the, the maesters that we have met so far in the story. This dockside thug of a guy uh, who chews on his sour leaf constantly and just lives in kind of a mess and has this glass candle burning in his office. Um, he's pretty cool. Interested yeah. to see where that goes. Yeah, I, yep, I, I am too. I, I've I've long had this kind of weird thought in my head that, that Marwin was Quaith somehow. Uh-huh. But because of the distracting glass candle scene and, you know, what they say about being able to speak to people through dreams with them but it just doesn't quite square up with the you know the fact that he if he wouldn't he wouldn't be needing all this information to rush off to Danny like like you said he's, he's been painted as a man of action and he's got enough info on Danny that would have made that decision to go a long time before Sam showed up absolutely uh, you know that's if, what I arrived at Quaith, as well yeah if he were Quaith but yeah. he's so maybe he's just the first half of the algorithm where it's saying yeah, somebody's using a dragon glass candle to be Quaith, and it's not him. Maybe. I would think so. Yeah, this is the whole line. They could enter a man's dreams and give him visions and speak to one another half world apart. I mean, what else? I think that's just Gurm just putting it up on a billboard for us. Feels um, like it. Yeah. It does say Danny. Danny's chapter later on, when she talks to Quaith later in this episode, briefly, very briefly, it says that the stars whispered in a woman's voice. And I don't know if, if Marwin could even imitate a woman's voice or or what, but uh, yeah, I think that, that leads me to believe that a glass candle is being used, but it's not Marwin's glass candle. Yeah. Someone yeah. else out there. Um, we do have that, uh, oh, who's that other guy that uses the glass candle they mentioned in Clash of Kings? So someone else is, is out there with one. Oh, I don't remember you're, that. You're on... Oh gosh, what was his name? It, he we never meet the guy. It just uh-huh. says Euron so and so has a hmm. glass candle or whatever. So was it like a Roderick the Reader thing? No, it was just like super brief, and it was over in Essos. Huh. Uh, hmm. It was reported Eurathon Nightwalker. Hmm. Glad I think it is uh, Zaro. That sounds Zoan like a shy guy. It was Zaro Zoan that says to Danny. Uh... Glass candles are burning in the house of Urathon Nightwalker that have not burned in a hundred years. Hmm. So, you know, we never, we don't know who this Urathon is other than that, but just the fact that his name is mentioned means that there's more out there. And, yeah. So. We're kind of into Davos after dark territory a little bit, but I don't know that I care. Uh, I'm looking at, I'll tell you what, Scott, I am looking at most of my notes and they're almost all Davos after dark for this chapter. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> I would say as long as we are not discussing Winds of Winter sample chapters, which is my yeah. biggest concern, because uh, yeah, I yeah. know people are actively avoiding Winds of Winter sample chapters. Yeah. As long as we're steering clear of that, I think we're okay, buddy. So it could be Alaris, who is Sorella and would be a, a... Did I just spoil the hell out of that? I guess we don't care, right? It's a theory out there that Alaris is Sorella, everyone. Uh, who is, and who Sorella is Sorella? Sand, Sorella Sand, uh, one of the Sand Snakes. Yes. So, um, uh, Sand Snakes are Oberyn's bastard daughters. So, um, so she's obviously spent a lot of time with Marwyn. Maybe when he's out there looking for new books, she's in here being Quaithy. Yeah, or or he's like he like fires up the glass candle, and then he's like, "Okay, bring Sorella. Stand in front of the camera, Sorella. Now, here. <laughs> you make it sound like dark porn or something, Matt. Put on the mask. Oh, God, wow! <laughs> I, I didn't know you had it in you. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> uh, but but then again, I, I go back to the point that you made of if if Marwin was in on this. How come he's acting so surprised and just leaving now for Danny? Yes, so. exactly. So, no, yeah, I was, was, I was Sorella, saying it was Sorella by herself. By herself, that she, yes. That she's learned enough and she's sandbagging it a little bit, right? Yeah. Don't promote me. I don't know what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh. some quotes about Sorella from uh, Doran and Ariane. Sorella turned over rocks, brushed sand off mosaics, wanted to know everything there was to know about the people who had lived there. That's her going to like an old abandoned village. Yeah. Um, Sorella was forever pushing in where she didn't belong. Um, so she's, she's, yeah. it sounds like by nature, extremely curious. Yeah. Um, she's by far my favorite sand snake. I know I've said Tyena's before, but I meant of, of those active ones in Dorne. Uh-huh. Sorella's the best. From the tiny, tiny, minuscule amount we know about her, just because she's so curious and out mm-hmm. there and everything, and um, and and uh, what's that word where you're so good at things for a young age? I've misplaced it. Like a prodigy? Yeah, well, that's not the word. Not I'm a prodigy, but, but uh, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She she's she's uh, intelligent beyond her years, and yeah, seeking knowledge all the time, and um, you know that. That chapter where where you read that from, it's an Ariane chapter, and uh, and you it's the 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 stark way in which Ariane's contrast with Sorella is just is it was very meaningful to me and meaningful to me in the moment when we were doing so much diving into Ariane's character and what she was like that she's offset by this younger girl who's far more involved in you know mm-hmm. everything around her than Ariane was and yeah and speaking of involved one thing that struck me as a little bit ominous is Doran talking about her and he says unless she returns to Dorne there's nothing I can do about Sorella uh, save pray that she shows more sense than her sisters and then he says leave her to her game mm-hmm. like she's rogue and Doran's like just let her do what she's doing like yeah, I wondered at first if she's kind of in on some of this this plotting of Doran and everything, but it appears from that line that she's not. Yeah, that she's up she's to a game, as Doran says it, and that's interesting because she's yeah, got like a side plot kind of thing. She's got a buttload of info now. Sam spilled the friggin' beans to her. Yeah, loads loads of info, uh, but but it, but it's weird because it's almost all info that doesn't help. 
Like, if she had known some of that info before Quentin was sent, or before, uh, I don't know, all these plots were made. Like, does it does any of this information help her now? Um, depends on what she's doing trying to do. Yeah. 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 I, one, of the, one of the reasons, so we went to the Sorella Quay thing, just harping back to that real quick. It kind of doesn't make sense that she would be because, well, I guess depending on how you read what Quaith has said, some of those things warn against Quentin, right, yep. in that prophecy. And so I don't know that she'd be warning against her own kind unless she's got a different game, like you said. A lot of That's speculation true, yeah. here. Well, and if she makes her way back to, to the Martells and they, you know, we've... Never mind. That could get into wind sample chapters. Yes. <laughs> Never mind. The one thing we cannot do... And the one place we long to go is the one place we cannot get. There's some Lord of the Rings for you. There it is. We cannot yeah. get. Yep. Um, let's see. Oh, boy. You, you, you want to talk about Pate? Sure. Yeah, we can talk about Pate. I don't know. I don't know what there is to say. I mean, so uh, go ahead. What do you have to say? <laughs> uh, just to bring up that Pate is... A faceless man. We remember yeah. from clear back in the prologue of A Feast for Crows that um, there was a character named Pate, and that yeah. Pate was killed at the end of the chapter by a faceless man who we and uh, others, it's pretty well established in the fandom at least, um, by someone who could very well have been Jacques and Hagar. Yeah, he's described as um, having or at a least nose. Wearing the same, same faces. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, so... The question remains is what does a faceless man need to get into the citadel for? Remember, he killed Pate to get a key that he needed um, to go and go and poke around inside <laughs> and the citadel. It's kind of funny. He throws that knowledge out, not not the knowledge that he stole a key or anything, but the knowledge of like, oh, yeah, it's right up there to Walgraves. Like that, that was the reason he wanted to be where he was, mm -hmm. right, is so that he could get access to Walgrave. And he just kind of throws yep. that information out to Sam. Oh, yeah, it's right up the way. There's Walgrave up there. It's kind of funny. Uh, yep, he's right there. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, he's in there. He's infiltrated the Citadel for reasons we don't know. Yeah. And then um, he also now knows all of this information about what's going on up north. Yes. Uh, with Stannis, with Melisandre, with John, with the others, with the Whites. Yes. Um, first of all, does he care? Did, did he already have that information you know, through other could sources? Could that be interesting? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah, what you have here just to just to throw many more logs onto the fire. You have maesters. Oh here, boy, just legitimate maesters. You have. We haven't talked about this yet, but I assume the three-eyed crow spying on everything from that tree, uh, that in in the yard, right? You have. They talk about a weirwood tree in the yard. Yeah, right. You have uh, secret maesters. Right, which is uh, I'm calling that Marwin, right? Like he's kind of secretive, and it sounds like he's keeping his motivations to himself away from the other maesters. You have other secret maesters in training, being you know Sorella. You have and and Pate, right? Who is a faceless maybe man? Maybe Leo Tyrell. Maybe yeah. Leo Tyrell for other purposes, and now a man from the Wall. And you've got all and and, and that that secret maester, and maybe the maesters in training, and the faceless man all using this dragon glass candle to spy on God knows whom. So you've got all of these different motivations kind of like clashing, maybe working mm -hmm. together, maybe hiding mm -hmm. stuff from each other and spying on each other and like writing secret notes. I want more, Matt. 
I want no. I want. It's so frustrating. Like this is what this is. This is what's been painted. It's all of these like side plots and 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 goals and machinations all within like the same little living space, and I don't know what they're after. Yes. <laughs> yes. And to maybe broaden the scope a little bit, you're talking about this little living space, and that's really fascinating to see all these different personalities are going to mesh. But if we broaden the scope yeah. to Old Town as a whole, who else that is, is in there? equally yeah. just tantalizing because yeah. this Old Town um, plotline has just come to us, yet it's this very pivotal, important town in Westeros, and we are just really seeing yeah. it for the first time uh, in this book, specifically in this chapter. But let's tick off what's going on in and around Old Town. You've got maesters who apparently have some some really crazy secrets about fighting against magic and prophecy and dragons and the like. You've got the Hightowers, who Leighton Hightower, the head of the house, hasn't come down in 10 years and is apparently up with his oldest daughter messing the around with maid. magical spells. Yes, the Mad Maid. You've got Sam, who is now come into the city, unknowingly carrying around what we postulate is the Horn of Joraman, <laughs> or the horn that could potentially bring down the wall. You have got a faceless man in the city, and more specifically, inside the citadel, uh, who's got keys to the kingdom, essentially. Uh, you've also got a pirate king named Euron Greyjoy, who is getting awfully close to Old Town and seems to have some sort of plan for it. So all you have of maybe these an army from the deep are just coming together. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's just crazy, man! I'm yeah. so excited to see what happens with Old Town uh, in the Winds of Winter. So excited! Something is coming to a point there, man, and it's going to be nuts. I don't know if you did it on purpose, but you just officially blew our load for Davos after dark in the Samwell chapter. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be... We're not even going to do Davos after dark. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play the music, and the episode will end. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, well, we might talk a little bit about the Barristan well, stuff. Maybe we can, yeah. and we can leave we can leave the Hightower stuff till then, because there's, there's some crazy stuff going on there. We can, we can leave that. Mm-hmm. Sorry for uh, jumping the gun. No, that's okay. I was just I was just walking through the the notes for uh for, yeah. for the Davos after dark. I'm like tick yeah totally tick tick, yeah, tick. there's that and there's that and there's that. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about something not so not so heavy? Sam, not so fat. I bet he's lost a bunch of weight on the trip. Maybe. Whew. Huh? You've got to have by this time, man. You'd think so. Yeah. Although, uh, it was Leo Tyrell who still comments on him being a pretty big boy. Yes, he does. <clears throat> he does. Yeah. All right, so maybe we jumped the gun. Uh, the, the, you kind of alluded to it, but this sets the tone for book six really well, mm-hmm. I think, in this, in this region, which you're right. We haven't touched on hardly at all. It's like a whole new theater uh, to play in and you know you've got Euron who also has I mean for for as much like fanfare and excitement as there is about Euron we know very little he was in like half a book right mm-hmm. and you know what's what's that gonna do Paxter Redwine has been 
his you know famous uh navy has been talked about for like three books in a row we don't know if it's even any good compared to the ironborn maybe it is but they seem everyone seems to think so yeah i mean but maybe they're yeah just there this is you know we use the you know the gun on the wall thing all the time but this is this is gonna be a huge thing I don't know why George decided to like leave Old Town until now, because it's a huge part of the, of Westeros, uh, with a ton of influence. But shit is going to go down, and it's going to be important. Oh yeah, the, I know that's a really vague prediction, but yeah, it all you know all that stuff we said. It's yes. all leading up to it. It's going to yeah. be big. Yep. Yeah. And you've got just so many, you mentioned all the little side plots just going on within the Citadel, within Maester Marwyn's chambers, for Pete's yeah. sakes. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just goes out from there. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess just one more just character thing, I guess, for Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of blows up at the at one of the naval guys that, that board the ship. It's like, what is the Hightower doing? Because he's he's always felt, even though his home was never his home, he always felt like it was this kind of safe, retreatable area. I think, especially as soon as he was taking Gilly somewhere, right? Yeah. And now he's like, now he sees that something that he always considered to be safe and secure is suddenly at risk. This could be taken. If Old Town could be taken, my home could be taken, and it kind of feels like for a little second his whole world comes a little unglued, right? It's like this is the one place maybe that. Yeah. I thought would be safe and untouched and everything and yeah. great. Just yeah. great. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a little <sighs> tiny character thing. Uh I don't have much else, to be honest. Um, I'll just point out again that Randall Tarley sucks so hard. <laughs> he uh went around telling everyone that Sam had died. Yes. Leo Tyrell says your father told us all that you were dead. So suck it, Randall Tarley. Suck it long and suck it hard, you douchebag. Yeah. As opposed, like, I, I guess it's dishonorable in his eyes to have sent a kid to the wall, I guess. I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why he wouldn't just tell the truth to that, but maybe because then the whole story comes out about the threat and everything. I don't know. Kind of weird. Maybe. I mean, maybe yeah. he's just an asshole. That's maybe the best explanation. I think it's that. He didn't want it to look like his, like a son that had come from his loins, you know? His eldest son was such a failure that they had to send him to the wall. Yeah. You know? Right. There's that bit, too, where Sam even thinks, like, I should have just run away and come here when I was younger. I would have fit in great Uh here. He's like, I bet he wouldn't even have come after me. Like, yeah. Except for the mule. He says he says he would have come for the mule. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, he's bad. He's up there. Alright. Okay. Uh you ready to move on? Yes. Let's go to the epilogue. Epilogy. Yep. Oh my gosh, is there gonna be music for this? Uh that just hit me actually. <laughs> <laughs> so if so I can throw something together in two days, then yes, there will be something. A pillagoo, if, if, a pillagey, epilogue, there's your song. Epilogy, hawk an epilogy. 
on your face, Kevin Lannister. There we go. Okay, good. That's, Duet. That's a, that's Look a at good us. Summary. Yep. Ah, uh, <laughs> send us the contract. All right. <laughs> As in his life, so shall it be in his POV. Kevin is overshadowed by the events around him. This chapter is less about Kevin's specific POV and opinions, though some of his observations are interesting, and more about setting the tone for the end of this book, A Dance with Dragons, and teasing some things that may be to come. So rather than go through this chronologically, I've elected to cover some of the themes. First, it's snowing in King's Landing, ankle-deep in shit, and they don't like it, leading Maester Pycelle to say, The time to speak of the cold is not when we are standing out in it. Second, the current and perhaps growing conflict between Tyrell and Lannister is ever-present, even displaying itself in the throne room where Lannister and Tyrell guards face off against each other during the small council meeting. The Tyrells have been given spots in the gold cloaks, and the current council itself sits three Tyrells and three Lannisters. This is a tenuous piece at best. Kevin has been doing his best to give the Tyrells just enough to keep them satisfied while not giving away the power. But he needs them. There are enemies everywhere, and he can't afford to lose the Tyrells. Though he notes of Mance, or of Mace, sorry, the more I give him, the more he wants. Basically, this whole council is rotten with mistrust, and there can't be much hope for real progress to be made until some things are resolved. So much so that Swift and Pycelle actually ask Kevin for an armed guard to protect them from the Tyrells. Oh, uh, by the way, the seventh member of the council is set to be Nymeria Sand. So, yeah, that's going to help the trust issues a lot. Third, the council is worried about the Golden Company in the south, seemingly led by John Connington and supporting a Targaryen heir, the supposedly murdered Aegon, whom Kevin must admit he could hardly look upon when presented with the mutilated corpse after the sack of King's Landing. He has to admit it's possible, and this army that's landed has landed in several locations and looks formidable. Fourth, both Queen's trials hang above the council as shoes waiting to drop. Kevin has everyone convinced that it is in their best interest for Cersei to come out victorious, regardless of any doubts they might have of Sir Robert Strong as a human or zombie or whatever. For if she's found innocent, or guilty rather, if she found if she's found guilty, that invalidates Tommen as king and therefore Marjorie as queen. Mace also communicates that he will not be leaving to do anything to help with the war effort until Marjorie's innocence is proven, and that he awaits a trial conducted by the Faith to prove that innocence, though he's frustrated at all that a trial's even needed. Fifth, kind of carrying on from the last, the Faith really, really wants that trial for Marjorie, and Kevin is loath to make an enemy of the Faith given all the enemies already surrounding him, as noted before. Danny too, is mentioned. The Council has many reports of this very real Targaryen, as opposed to the more supposed Aegon, this very real Targaryen era in the East. And though there isn't much they can do about her at the moment, they can make sure there is not an environment ripe for overthrow, and they can try to make sure these two Targaryen pretenders don't combine forces. Sixth, there's also the debt to deal with. The Iron Bank of Bravos has come calling, and the throne is looking for help from literally everywhere. Mir, at the moment. Apparently, the Bank of Bravos is really coming after them, and Kevin is even considering paying them off with Lannister Gold himself. Really doesn't want to, though. Seventh, Cersei herself. <sighs> Epic sigh. Where is her head at? Well, she's been praying to the gods, playing with Tommen, and bathing herself in roughly equal time amounts while she's awake. Though Kevin notes that all this bathing will never wash the stain away. 
Cersei seems beaten down, and Kevin regrets this a little. She was a lion of the rock and proud and beautiful. If she had been married to Rhaegar, who knows what blood spilling might have been avoided. Anyway, these days she is attended to by a rotating retinue of faith-based drones that are cycled through just so that she will not have any time to corrupt them. When Kevin meets with her, she is demure, docile, requesting only that Taina Merriweather and her son be sent to her when her innocence is proven. He feels some guilt at having engineered her walk of shame, but overall feels that it has put her in her place, made her manageable, even though it has also removed her claws. A messenger arrives. Kevin is needed in the rookery. Maester Picello has requested him. He walks over. The servants there are quiet. The rooms are cold, where they are normally stifling. There's a big white raven, huge even. Winter, he says. Then the coral took him in the chest. He doesn't know what to think. Tyrion, perhaps. He looks over and sees Pycelle dead, slumping in his desk, and regrets not assigning the guards he had requested. Varys appears and immediately apologizes. Varys! Who we haven't seen forever! Kevin is but a good man in the service to a bad cause, he says. He's not doing this in malice or ill will, but for the good of the realm. Kevin is in, is in his good sense was working to undo all the damage Cersei had done, all the damage Varys himself had set in motion. And that could not be allowed. Indicates that Aegon will raise his banner amidst the chaos of Kevin's death. Kevin replies, Aegon? He's dead. Now I'm just going to read this little Aegon bit, because it's so good. From Varys. No. He's here. Aegon has been shaped for rule since before he could walk. He has been trained in arms, as befits a knight to be but it was not the end of his education. He reads and writes. He speaks several tongues. He has studied history, law, and poetry. A scepter has instructed him in the mysteries of the faith since he was old enough to understand them. He has lived with fisherfolk, worked with his hands, swum in rivers and mended nets, and learned to wash his own clothes at need. He can fish and cook and bind up a wound. He knows what it is like to be hungry, to be hunted, to be afraid. Tommen has been taught that kingship is his right, Aegon knows that kingship is his duty, that a king must put his people first, and live and rule for them. Kevin shivers. Varys whistles. Children emerge from the shadows, from hiding. Children with daggers. End of book, but not end of podcast, because we're going a little bit out of order. Oh my goodness, are we ever? Jeez. Ferris, it's like you didn't even notice he was gone for two whole books. It's amazing, isn't it? How George did that? It's like he disappeared, people stopped referencing him. It right? Yeah. You kind of forgot he was gone. Oh, it's and, like, oh yeah, him. Right. Kind of crazy. He was a big deal. So, uh this chapter really just kind of a little bit just kind of reminds you of the state that everything in the realm is in, right? Except the the wall, it kind of skips sure. most of that. But um, it's really just kind of a, here's where everything is, wait for it, and we are, we're waiting for it still. Um, but also sets in motion some new things, right? The beginning, the beginning three quarters of this whole chapter are just, this is the status of, of where everything is, remember it. And then the last quarter is, oh my fucking god, 
Screw it all. Varys is turning the tables on this whole city. Screw Uh, it all. So, uh, you know, um, is is Varys telling the truth about Aegon? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It feels like he thinks he's telling the truth, at least. Yeah. It's said. It's 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 commonly said in the fandom. He has no incentive to lie here. There's no one here listening that cares. Exactly. Um, and so why why would he lie to him? He could just kill mm-hmm. him and be done with it. Yep. You know, people sometimes talk just to hear themselves talk. I'm one of them. Uh, but um, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like he believes this about Aegon. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we, of course, know where Aegon is. We also know that Illyrio and Varys have been plotting for years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We go cl- clear back to Game of Thrones, where Arya Underfoot is hiding down in the lower levels of uh, the Red Keep. And here's Illyrio and Varys plotting, uh, with Varys committing to disrupt the kingdom to usher in the return of the people they want to return matt you know how you can like get so invested in something that like you'll fight to the death for it even if even when you realize like maybe it's not the best uh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. star wars expanded universe you betcha (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't aiming for that but i'm glad i'm I'm glad i hit it because it's awesome uh i mean this could be an explanation He's been, like you said, since Game of Thrones, but way even before that, right? Years and years and years, they've yep. been putting this together. He can't shrink back now. Cards are cards are out. He's got to play yep. them. He's got to bluff. He's got to do whatever. So, like, maybe maybe he is talking himself into it. This is what he is. I'm, I'm sure of it. it. He must be. This is what we. This is what we raised him to be. It's he's got to be this. I'm sure he's all these all of these things. But is he really? I, I so is I've he been really. I've, yeah, is he really? Okay. I mean, he's. We've seen. We Talk saw evidence. Of, well, well, we've we've seen evidence of Aegon not being this temperamental, you know, guy that can handle anything. He freezes in front of the stone men. He turns over the table mm-hmm. on Tyrion when and you know, gets upset when he loses in the game. Um you know he orders he orders duck around quite a bit instead of doing things himself i don't know I, this is what Varys wants aegon to be but i'm not sure it i'm not sure it's an accurate picture of aegon i didn't notice that all those all those things really as being the opposite of this until this read through i was mm-hmm. sold hook line and sinker with this speech from Varys like yes i want aegon to be that too that sounds like a great king but in reading it i'm not so sure that he sounds like he really is this this great yeah, person. Yeah, on on paper it's a great plan. Yeah. We're going to raise him up to be a man of the people and everything. But you forget that even doing all those things, just the fact that he's being paid so much attention to that he's surrounded by yeah. a septa and a halfmaster and all these people, there's going to be a sense of entitlement anyways, no matter what. Yeah. And the human factor, the freezing up against the stoneman is an incredibly telling moment, I think. Yeah. And 
yeah, uh, good on Varys for seeing this thing through. Um, but he probably, you know, he he probably has no idea really of of that side of the uh, of, yeah. of Aegon. You know, maybe Illyrio sends him letters that's nothing but sparkles and sunshine, and of, those of types of things. And those things originate with with probably the half maester with yeah, Septa Lamore, and they're like, yeah, we're teaching him all sorts of stuff. He knows all his his history. Yeah, we've he sword fights every day. He knows how to sword fight. Oh, so they're able Matt. to check off. They're able to check off the check boxes. Leave no child behind. He's a product of the system. What he can do. Yeah, yeah. Pull out his report card. Yes, he passes sword fighting. Yes, he uh, knows his history. Da 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 da. All this stuff. He knows how to do it. But yeah, put him out into the real world and see what happens. That's where the real test is. We've gotten a very small sample size of it so far, and there's yeah. certainly time, you know? Maybe he, he learns from that freezing up experience. And he has done a few things that that do speak well. I mean, he handled the the Sellsword Company well. He comes in and takes control at Griffin's Roost. He's done a few totally, things that yeah. kind of look He seems good like look... a natural leader. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's maybe just a mixed bag. But anyway. Yep. <sighs> It's interesting, gone. though, be, play out? the uh, Varys and Illyrio chat from Game of Thrones was all about they were still behind Viserys yes. at that point, getting him there. So what do you think is that relationship? Were they always planning on having Viserys and Aegon? You know what? I'm, I'm struggling to remember that, uh, that conversation. What is it specifically they say that says they're behind Viser- Viserys? They're just, they talk about the Dothraki and how, you know, uh-huh. they married off Daenerys to Caldrogo, uh-huh. and now he's going to have his horde of Dothraki horse lords for the return and everything, and Varys just needs to wait. They just need to wait and, and let this all play out over uh, in Essos, and Varys just needs to kind of keep doing what he's doing for now and prevent all out, you know, things going too well or too poorly for the time being, um, but still kind of paving the way of sowing a little bit of chaos uh, to to destabilize the realm a little bit. Well, that just pisses me right off. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't line up with anything. They've been working on Aegon for over a decade. Exactly, right? So, so like, what is that? They didn't know Arya was listening. What are, like, what are they playing out there? Ugh, I don't know. So it's like, have they always had Aegon in the back pocket for in case Viserys failed? But that doesn't seem right. It seems like Illyrio's super attached and super invested in him. If they knew, if they knew the dragon eggs were going to hatch, he could have been the third dragon rider. But they had no way. I don't think they had any pre- preconceived notion that, that was going to happen. So, you know, they could have been trying to play all three of them is what I'm saying. You know, put all three of them in position. Mm-hmm. To be the three riders, if they thought there were going to be dragons, but I don't know, man. It feels feels weird because yeah, because they've been planning this for fifteen years, man. I'm sure that people have written up this, and our listeners are just like, guys, go read something. It's probably out there, mm-hmm. but like, gotta go refresh my uh, Blackfire theory stuff and all that. Sorry, Pat. But uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I feel yeah. bad that I don't. 
Well, it... do you have one for yourself? I mean, I've thought about it a little bit, and it seems like they're when they're talking together, Illyrio and Varys, they're talking about Khal Drogo and they're talking about Viserys. Could it be that they're trying to get both of these bloodlines, Aegon Targaryen and Viserys, back together? But that seems like it would just be that would turn mm. seems like it would turn into conflict. And we just missed the first half of the or the second half of the conversation where they talk about the Aegon half. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, together they were uh they were preparing Viserys. And but Illyrio had kind of this Aegon in his back pocket who he was raising or whatever. And then he told Viserys about it. No, but it seems like Viserys knew. It's yeah. or not Viserys, uh, Varys knew. Um Yeah. I don't know. No, getting them there at the same time may maybe works. I mean, if you're a a believer in the Blackfire theory, um you know, I don't know. it seems like they'd be wanting to subvert the Viserys Danny line rather than rather than join them. But, you know, maybe they've learned over the years that those insurrections always fail, so what we really need is to bring them together again. It's well, you know, and and good of the realm stuff. Once once Viserys is out of the picture, it actually makes sense. Oh sure, because then you get Danny in there, and you get Aegon in there. You marry them after the tra- the Targaryen tradition of, of family with family, right. and it works. But but you have to assume that they're having a disingenuous conversation with each other in this scene. Yep. To to believe that that's what their end goal was, exactly, and blech. Yeah, I don't know. Yep, because so, it, 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 it does well, it yeah. does make it does make total sense the Danny and Aegon thing to me. Sure, but yeah. you can't forget about Viserys in there. Yeah. So okay, well let's move on. Uh, I don't know that we've got anything more to bring to it. Nope. Kevin Lannister. You have anything to say about Kevin Lannister? He's been vilified in the fandom, and perhaps rightfully so. He he participated in a lot of terrible things under the command of of Tywin, um, maybe with the excuse of wartime or whatever. But he doesn't strike me as a bad guy. And yeah. uh, and and having this little look into his mind kind of validates that for me. You know, kind of some of the little things he does of um, noticing that the messenger boy was cold. And so he sent him to go find a fire instead of walking back with him to Pycelle's chambers. You know? Yep. Little things he, like that. The Which, the way he notes Tom and Tom's a good boy. Yeah, he's uh, a sweet little like boy. Yeah. I'll set I'll I'll set a I'll set a, a, a trap for the cat. No problem, man. Yeah, Which I mean, wait against... just saying that to placate Cersei, but <laughs> maybe. I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough thing. Wait against his actual actions in the series of being the dutiful soldier willing to massacre things. Mm-hmm. It's hard to call him a good guy, right? But but also there's you know the following orders component, which I, I bet I wonder. I really wonder how people in the military that listen to our podcast think when we say things like, "Well, he was following orders," but. Does he have to? You know, like, uh, I mean, in the U.S. military, I think I've said this before. I, you know, I think I think the law is that you're, or the rule is that you're not supposed to follow unlawful commands, right? Yeah. But yeah, 
um, our friend Owl has yes. commented on that before. But I'd be interested in hearing that too from people like him or Anthony, uh, Jeff, if you're listening. Um, yeah, chime in. Let us know. And there's others I'm sure out there. But uh, so like uh, like it's hard to excuse. There's been totally. There's Absolutely. been a lot. There's been a lot going on around in social media about you know people that stand aside while monsters you know run the day and you know are they monsters too and it's like well yes kind of there are circumstances around all those people why they're doing what they're doing you know and are they still lesser monsters yeah maybe i don't know it takes a lot to stand up you know against it in some in some cases in kevin's case it's standing up against your brother too and your family uh, but I don't, I also don't really want to excuse it. Like he does a lot of terrible shit. Putting Cersei through that walk of shame was pretty awful for her. I mean, life ruining. Maybe we'll get to Cersei in a minute uh, about yes, we where will. you think yeah. she really Let's is. But mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. I, he 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 seems like the more sensible, more calm, more calm Lannister. I still don't know that that's saying much. I guess is what I'll say. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and and let me be clear. By saying he's not, I have trouble labeling him a bad guy. That doesn't yeah. mean automatically that I'm calling him a good guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's fair. I get you. Uh, yep. But he he doesn't seem like this monster yeah. that uh, that maybe his brother was or that others have been. Yeah. You know, he t- speaks very fondly of his sweet wife back at home. Um, you know, he's he's. I don't know. There's something there enough to make me go, ah, there's, there's humanity in him that you never saw from Tywin. And it's said that maybe Tywin had that before Joanna died, but you never see it in these books from, from Tywin. And you see some of it in one chapter here from Kevin and fair. You don't get Tywin's POV, but, um, yeah, I think, I don't know that we, I don't think we, I don't think we need it (laughs) that we needed it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's, let's transition then to Cersei. Um, it's, it's been said out there, but I don't know that it's absolutely proven in this chapter that it was Kevin's idea that he suggested the, the walk of atonement. Um, I got that impression from what I read. Um, yes. C- certainly with, um. You know, some of the things he said, first of all, with him being familiar with something like that happening, as Tywin did that uh, with his father's mistress all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he And then he says things like, I've made sure to draw her fangs. Um, let's see. Uh, better to live shame than die proud. I have, no, uh, I have no reason to feel guilty. What I did, I did for the good of House Lannister. Um it had that, to be, that, he I says, muttering over his mind. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's that one, but whether he's the one that brought it up to the High Septon or whether they conspired together to do it, right? Um, I don't know how much it matters. Um, it's awful either way. I thought there was something in there a little more damning that indicated that it was his idea, but maybe not. Uh, I get the impression, though. Uh, either way, I'm not sure it matters too much. But yeah. um, he was certainly in on it, and he certainly feels, <clears throat> I think, a little bit of guilt um, for doing it. Yeah, he does. You know? It had sure. to be Kevin muttered over the last of his wine. Yeah. 
his high holiness had to be appeased, he says. Yeah, that one indicates the other way, right? A little bit, yep. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, but like you said, it still is terrible. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I said it doesn't matter. It does matter, I guess, whether it's your idea to begin with. It, it, it implies a bit of malice in your heart. Um, but I think really he's doing it he's doing it for control reasons absolutely uh, he yeah. he needs he needs her declawed he's tried things with cersei before to take her down a peg and they did not work and so like while i'm not saying that this was okay to do i think from his perspective he see he might see it as the only way to get her removed from power to like crush her a little bit I completely and... agree with you. And it's the little brother coming out in him. And he's thinking, WWTD, what would yeah. Tywin do? Yeah. Well, Maybe. I remember how Tywin completely shamed a woman once. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so about Cersei. So, is is she declawed? Is she, is, has she been, has she been knocked down a peg? Apparently, but uh, if I were a betting man, I think our answers would be the same. There is a vacuum of power in King's Landing right now that I'm sure Varys would love Cersei to try and fill. Absolutely. We talked about how his job is chaos right now yeah. to pave the way for little Aegon to come in. Who else? Who yeah. better than to cause that chaos than uh, our dear Cersei? And... And I hate to say it because I know I bitched a lot about Cersei and how crazy she was, but seeing her this way, docile and demure is awful. She, it's not her, and I don't like it. It feels sure, like sure. Ugh, it feels it feels like um, watching. Uh, gosh, I guess I guess maybe the the best example I can I can think of is. Oh, uh, <sighs> nope. I've I've lost the name of it. I've got one. Mm-hmm. It's a sport. It's a sports one though, so I apologize to our non-sports ball fans. That's okay. I'll NHL... come up with mine while you're telling yours. Go ahead. Cool. NHL coach. His name is John Tortorella. He still coaches, um, and he was super brash back in the day, like a dickhead type of coach. Uh, specifically and especially to his own players like if you messed up he let you have it to the point of according to what some players have revealed was was abusive like but the guys you know the guy won a stanley cup coaching the tampa bay lightning and a lot of the players pointed to his greatness as a coach and his fiery personality as something that kept them motivated and kept them going but uh, after he won that Stanley Cup and they went a few years without winning cups and everything, you know, people started to really criticize him for the way he treated his players. And he tried to take that to heart and he, he got fired from his one team and went to a new team and he toned it down big time. He got super docile. And guess how good the team was? He coached the Vancouver Canucks and they were terrible. He did nothing with them during his time with them. He got fired. He gets rehired by a new team, brings back some of the old John Tortorella. All of a sudden, he's coaching the Columbus Blue Jackets now. They're making the playoffs. They'd never made the playoffs before, and they're doing a lot better. So 
it's you kind of see that guy out of his out of his zone and everything and even though when he was in the zone he wasn't a particularly great guy it made you kind of sad to see him trying to like change his ways and not succeeding at that so i asked you to fucking defend i've seen you fucking defend before and you're gonna do it here if that's how we're going to battle we're not going to have a chance to win jesus christ how much time do we have to talk about it there you go that is a great example. Yeah, it's a great example. Uh, I did think of mine. Um, okay. I may have used it before. It's Streetcar Named Desire. And mm. again, this is it's, it's similar in a way. Um, because what happens is you've got this character, Blanche, who's um, pretty awful. I mean, she's... In my opinion, she's pretty awful. She's conceited and vain and values all the wrong things. Um, getting getting a little bit advanced in age, but certainly does not deserve the fate she gets. Um, which spoilers if you haven't seen that movie from fifty years ago <laughs> or more, uh, is she she gets raped and and it it totally kind of just crushes her and mm-hmm. changes her and uh, makes her a shell of the person she was. And even though I hated the person she was it was wrong to look at her a different way. And, um, you know, similar to what happened with Circe, she wasn't raped, but, but her, oh, her, her yeah. pretty close, Oof. right? I mean, yeah. very, very close. Oh, and, man. uh, you know, f- from some perspectives and, uh, it's wrong to look at her this way. It feels wrong. She is like, he says, a, pl- a proud lion of the rock and looking at her this way, feels bad. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Similar kind of example, and so I am hoping that uh, she tries to fill the vacuum uh, and and claim her place of power uh, after what I will assume will be a successful defense in her trial. Yeah, you've got to think that Varys will be pushing if if what we're saying is what Varys is really thinking, um, that he will be doing what he can to ensure that Cersei comes out on top. Um, or just make it as chaotic as possible. So looking forward, I guess, we're going to see the Tyrells, I imagine, making some big power plays at this point, right? I would Cersei's think so. going to come in on the defensive. So I mean, what are the, what this is like their golden opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they got to be careful, though, because they still need Tommen, right? Yeah. For Marjorie's uh, legitimacy. Yeah. So. Yeah. They do. It's tricky. It is. And if we know anything about Mace, he's going to screw up somehow militarily and cause Aegon to be able to take the city anyway. (laughs) What a sweetheart. Yeah. Oh, I meant to bring that up. So Mace Tyrell is Leighton Hightower's son-in-law. Yes. So you have to wonder if, as stuff gets crazy in Old Town down there, if Mace Tyrell... Lenora or uh, what's her name? No, Lenore, uh, or Allison. Allison. No. Yep. Mm. Okay. No, nope, that's not her name. No. Is it? I don't think so. <laughs> oh gosh. Failure. I'll look it up. You keep talking. I'm. I've got it right here. Let's see. Alary. We were so close. Alary. <laughs> We've read a lot of stuff, guys. I know a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, as pressure starts coming onto Old Town there, I think there's going to be some pressure on Mace to join in the defense, perhaps. 
and leave King's Landing a little exposed and maybe open up some holes, maybe not only just for Aegon, but for no Cersei way. too. Gar- Garland and Willis can handle it. I know they can. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> uh, Kevin kisses Cersei's hand, noting mm-hmm. that it may be for the last time. And it was. Oh, sweet oh. irony. Oh, gosh. He says it's the last kiss she might ever get. Mm-hmm. And yep. peace yep. out, Kev. Yeah. Uh, um, George does a masterful job as Kevin's making his way over to that tower, by the way. Kind of, mm. if, you're, if you're looking for it, uh, it feels like an alien place with the snow, icy teeth, unfamiliar. None mm. of the boys or girls say anything. This is all foreshadowing, right? Of super ominous, yeah, yeah, totally. right. It's kind of like a these are signs in a horror film that you uh-huh. should be paying attention to. <laughs> you think Varys was hanging out in King's Landing? Oh yeah, he was he in the was walls. There? He's in the walls somewhere. Yeah, doing doing okay. disguises, maybe in black cells. Who know? I mean, I I get the impression he has several disguises he can use at a you know a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I imagine he was there the whole time. I think I agree with you. I can't I mean, think of any reason he'd be anywhere else. Yeah, unless he cruised over to Bravos a time or two, or Pentos. maybe he did. Or Pentos, yeah, to hang with Illyrio. I don't know. But... Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um. The Iron Bank stuff. You got anything there? Man, I know the the Lannisters are rich. Could yeah. they settle that debt? I don't know. That would be He's, nuts, I mean, dude. Kevin that Kevin seems to think they can. Nuts. He kind of it's kind of an offhand comedy. He's like, ah, I wouldn't want to pay it off with the Lannister gold, but but it, like he kind of says it dismissively, like they could. Yeah, yeah. No, that's crazy to me. That is yeah. crazy money. Yeah. Yeah, right. Swift says, you know, that it was not his doing. Um, <laughs> they uh, actually, one of the recent Nauticast episodes went into whose doing that really was. And uh, I think I think Radio Westeros maybe said this too in their Peter episodes. They blamed Baelish for it, that he was making the debt much, much worse by like, oh, yeah, basically yeah. embezzling. Uh huh, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think that's for sure true, and Cersei probably didn't help by not paying anything. Mm-hmm. And making the interest. Sitting there collecting interest, baby, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. I got something I want to talk in Davos After Dark with you, but okay. uh, we'll wait till we get there. One, so. one more, one more uh, little pour some out for Boros Blunt. I know I hate the guy, but this guy just looks awful. He's on he, the out this, and out. It looks like his this this job has just killed him. You know, like bless him, bless him. This job is just taking it out of him. This is where that whole rule about a Kingsguard serves for life is maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe something they need to go back and look at. Yeah, that guy is pretty useless other than tasting Tommen's food. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, more on him though, during the aforementioned dad chat. So, Ooh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's nothing big. 
Oh, that's what she said. It really is yeah. what she said. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you want to move over to King's Hand? Queen's Hand? Queen's yeah, Hand. that's all you, right? I hope. Queen's Hand. Yes. 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 To the B and double I I S T A N nine penny kings to defeat at the try to dance. Sell me is tripping because he's out living three kings and maybe more. And that white cloak makes it easy to see, but it can also make it hard to breathe. Sell me the boldest thing. Have you finally found? Have you finally found your queen? Uh, it's raining in Baltimore, baby, but everything else is the same. That's Counting Crows. Um, it, it was raining the day that Quentin Martell finally died. The young Dornish prince lingered for three days before finally succumbing. He was burned almost beyond recognition. His This was gross. I hope you weren't eating while you were reading this chapter. His eyes were like great pools of pus, bone visible beneath charred skin. You know, one almost wonders if a mercy kill would have been more... Well, merciful, instead of Barristan and Miss Anday's valiant and well-meaning attempts to make Quentin comfortable. They even laid him in Daenerys' own bed. Uh, but finally, pulling himself away from his morning tradition of watching the skies for the return of Daenerys, Barristan rendezvous with Skehaz the Shavepate to head to a meeting of Meereen's new ruling council. The council meets in the Great Hall in Marine at, you guessed it, a round table. That's right, the one knight in Marine has established a round table for council. Uh, this new ruling council includes, includes the shave pate, also the commanders of Danny's three freedmen companies. Uh, there's two storm crows who sit in for Dario Naharis, three pit fighters, one Dothraki, Grey Worm, and the emaciated, here you go, Scad, Strong Bellwas. Love it! Uh, weakened from his body's fight with the poison locusts, but strong of spirit and rapidly regaining his appetite. So here at the beginning of the council meeting is a good time to discuss the current state of affairs in Marine. Uh, as Scad did in the last summary, prepare yourselves. Here be bullet points. So first of all, Rhaegal and Viserion have free reign of the city after Quentin and Co.'s failed heist. They've completely destroyed one pyramid, and Rhaegal has taken one for his own. They've left behind a wake of death and destruction, large enough at least to convince many other nobles to evacuate their own pyramids. Uh, Barristan ordered the fighting pits, which are still closed, to rather be filled with sheep and livestock in an effort to draw the dragons away from man-munching, and so far it seems to be working, at least to his knowledge. Uh, much of the Miranese nobility are calling for the release of King Hisdar, he who was taken into captivity by our white knight at the end of this last chapter, uh, his last chapter. They, the nobility, perhaps understandably, want the dragons dead. Um, overall, citywide morale is indeed quite low, and tense is perhaps a light description. To add to this tension, the clandestine murders have begun again by the Sons of the Harpy. Twenty-nine, a new record, were killed in the last night alone. 
those dead continue to exclusively be freedmen, shave pates, and basically anyone associated with Danny. The shave pate continues to advocate for an equally violent measure in response, which is the killing of their child hostages. Barristan, refuse, Barristan refuses, even in the face of the shave pate's insults. Finally, Galaza Galare, the Green Grace, has been dispatched to the Yunkish camp by Barristan to negotiate the return of their hostages. Uh, that would be Hero, Dario Naharis, and Jogo, the Blood Rider. No word back from her yet, uh, but she is to offer each hostage's weight in gold. Most of the council are skeptical the Yunkish wise masters will bite on this, emphasizing that the masters don't need more gold. What they really want are the dragons dead and Hisdar back on the throne. Okay, bulleted list over. Uh, Barristan is asked if he would break Hisdar's peace should the Yunkai refuse their offer, and he replies, I would shatter it. I love that line. And with that, the council begins planning for battle. Each, uh, allowing each council member to speak their mind is a good idea in theory, but it can also get very tiring, and the council finds itself debating well into the afternoon. They conclude with all decided, but still with the massive question of the dragons. If when the battle commences, will they come? And if so, will they even care to distinguish friend from foe? Uh, anyways, Barristan's day isn't over yet. To the dungeons he goes to make an offer to the morning defeated Jarrus Drinkwater and Archie Ironwood. He informs them of Quentin's death. Jarrus reacts violently, cursing Daenerys and putting his fist into a wall. Archie says nothing, staring only at his bandaged hands, which were burned in his attempts to save Quentin. Uh, Jarrus and Barristan debate for a time over whose fault all this was. Jarrus says it's Danny's. Barristan stands firm in placing the blame on Quentin, well-intentioned as his quest may have been. But in the end, they stop. That's not why Barristan was there. The Shave Pate and others want the Dornish pair executed, Barristan informs them, but he has another mission for them, an alternative. Go to the Yunkish and get their hostages back. Barristan lays it all out, how they're going to do this. Remember the Westerosi windblown that had defected to Danny's side with Quentin and co? They're still in Marine's dungeons. Barristan will release them, send them back to the tattered prince over the Yunkish lines. He'll send Archie and Jarrus with them. And once there, the two are to make contact with the tattered prince, relaying the message that Barristan will honor the original deal where Quentin promised to help Tatters get Pentos if he can return their hostages. The two are reluctant, owing to the low opinion the Windblown now have of them, but they agree to it on the promise that Barristan will give them Quentin's bones and arrange passage back to Dorne. So returning to Daenerys' quarters, Barristan meets with the Green Grace, recently returned from the Yunkish camp. As expected, she informs him that Yunkai balked at her terms and pleads with him to restore Hisdar to the throne. She's confident that it will, it will bring back the peace they had worked so hard to forge. That, coupled with the blood of the dragons, the death of the dragons, will be the only things that can buy back his hostages. At that very moment, they are interrupted by the shave pate, 
who bursts in with the news that the six Yunkish trebuchets have begun bombarding the city. Not with stones, however, but with corpses. So ends the chapter. Sheesh. That's gross. Oof. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what, uh, what do you think of Barristan's efforts to get these three hostages back? Uh, does it feel like he's trying too hard? Yeah. Does it feel yep. like it doesn't matter? Yep. Well, Barristan, I mean, look, I hate to guy. be so callous. Yep. yep. I, I hate to be so callous about yep. these lives. Yep. But, I mean, I thought giving away Pentos for three dragons was, like, maybe a stretch. Mm-hmm. But giving away Pentos for three human lives seems like a really big stretch. Unless he doesn't mean to come through, but that doesn't sound like Barristan to me. Doesn't sound like Barristan to me. Yeah. I mean, I maybe tell you, maybe man. Barry just shouldn't be negotiating. It's a very Davos thing to do. What's yeah. the life of one boy? Everything. Um, and he's doing it all for Daenerys. He knows that those three are important to her, and yeah. so he's going to do it. And great. That's so cool, Barristan. I'm so glad that you feel such loyalty to the queen. But it seems like there's bigger but... problems right now. <laughs> like like Han in Solo, you cannot bet what you do not have. <laughs> that is he doesn't have true. Pentos to give. It's the same question we had with Quentin the last time we talked about yeah. this. How is yeah. he going to help them get Pentos? How? Yeah. With your yeah. dragon that you don't even know how to ride? Okay. Yeah. I guess Barristan has a little more clout. You know, if they win this battle, he potentially has Unsullied. He's got others. And hopefully Danny comes back on the dragon and can help. But, yeah. uh, but still. It's, speaking of, there's a whole lot going on here just pinned on the hope that Danny, who was dragged off by a dragon, is coming back. Uh huh. Like it, it feels. It it feels like people are clinging to this more than they should be, especially Barristan. Yeah, but but it makes sense that Barristan would, because she is Barristan's only link to any sort of station or power or control or. God, I mean, if if she turned up dead, he might kill himself. I mean, I don't know what he's really living for, right? Other, other than her. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that he would keep that alive. But the rest of these people, like, why are they clinging to this? It feels, it feels desperate. I mean, I guess, I guess I don't yeah. know how long she's been gone, but it feels like weeks now. And it was the only thing that they really had was her. You know, like these, this company of freedmen, what are yeah. they without Daenerys? Well, so you maybe know? that makes sense as to why some of them are clinging to it, but I don't the know. Uns- the I, I'd, I'd be getting really nervous. And and this is where it kind of gets a little bit into the tragedy to me that is Barristan Selmy. He is, <clears throat> you know, maybe we could have the same conversation about him that we had about Kevin. Sometimes I have trouble calling him a super good guy, um, mm. but I also have a lot of trouble calling him a bad guy. Uh But he's a very capable man in my eyes. Um, I don't think he even knows how capable he actually is. But it's like you said, 
it's like he'd just kill himself if he didn't have Daenerys there. And that's really tragic to me. Yeah. Because I think he could do well. But he's so used to having a leader. Like an old man living on the river? Like, what do you want him to do? I almost feel like he could work out something in Marine if he even wanted to. And if not, he could go do something else, and he'd be good at what he did. Yeah, just like as a general or something in an army? or Yeah, if he wanted to do the sellsword thing, he could do that. Yeah. I don't know. If he wanted to just retire and go do something, he could do that. But he's so loyal to Daenerys, and I think it just comes from growing up. Yeah, I think he believes in her personally, but he's just grown up in this in this thing where he's got to be loyal to someone. He's got to have someone to protect, it feels like. And yet he's turned on several people, so maybe, maybe that's why he won't turn this time, because he feels like, no, I'm not doing that again. Right? Sure. Yeah, but it was interesting. He It talks about, as it's talked about in all of his POVs, he said he was very tired and full of doubts. Was he doing the right things? I'm like, oh, yeah. Barristan, you know, he's a good guy. He's trying to do the right thing. But then almost immediately it follows up with, so he says, was he doing the right things? And then... Was he doing what Daenerys would have wanted? (laughs) In the end, he leaves the right things in the hands of those who call his shots. Yeah. And it's like, you're you're experienced, Barristan. You've been around the blocks. You can know. What the right thing is. Trust yourself. Yeah. Use your feelings. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. I've started to, like... See, he's kind of become kind of tragic to me, the character Barristan Selmy. Yeah, I see it. I see it. You know who's also a little bit tragic? Who? Miss Sande. Oh, what a sweetheart, huh? I mean, in some ways, not tragic at all. She's got kind of her whole life in front of her. Sure. And, you know, maybe she can, like Barristan, she's full of, well, more than Barristan. She's very capable and should be able to find a position somehow so long as somebody doesn't just, like, walk up and kill her for no reason because she was tied to Danny. But I just feel like somebody just needs to give her a big hug. I feel like she's very lonely. And, and just... she's... Oh, man, you're so right. I'm glad you brought that up. We need to give her her girl. moment. We yeah. do need to give her her moment. He is so very far from home, she says of Quentin. And she's very far from home. Yeah. And... I don't know. I just feel for her. She's like one of those people that give so much to others and everything. But Yeah. And yeah. and you're right. She's got so much potential, so much talent, but she's always doing that. Yeah. Uh, only blood can pay for blood? I believe that's the shave pate. Here's a guy I don't oh. feel bad for. A little bit of uh, a parallel with... Well, I guess a perpendicular <laughs> with Alaria's comments oh, about, yeah. about, you know, where does it end? Uh-huh. And I don't know, the shave pate, I, sometimes I feel like he's just, he's also playing a game that he knows, like, in the end he can't win. Almost like no matter what happens, you know? Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> so just... he just wants to cause as much death as possible. He's, I kind of hate that guy. He's He's really desperate, right? Yeah. You know, we talk about guys who <clears throat> are desperate for Danny to stay in charge. He he put everything on her. Yeah. He gave up his standing in the community, everything, yeah. to throw his weight behind Danny. 
And like you said, he's he's fighting a losing battle right now, and he's got to do anything to stay on top. And uh, yeah, yeah, he does strike me as kind of almost a, a causing chaos type character, though, too. Yeah, um, almost like if he can keep the focus on the chaos itself, maybe it keeps him out of harm's way a little. Maybe I don't know. It's it's kind of too. I kind of like the, his actions and what he wants to do. I kind of equate him a little bit to the Night's Watch members as well. Hmm. Like yeah. compared to like like the way the Night's Watch is seeing what's happening at the wall. Uh huh. Like they can't they cannot get around the mental block of like how wrong this is that John doesn't see it. And for the shave page, just like, how do you not see that these are the rich nobles and we just need to kill them and the harpy stuff will stop? Yeah. How can you not just see that? Uh-huh. And yet, you know, as readers were like, they're children, you can't do that. And he's like, but look! You know? Like, yeah. Yep. I, I put the note down, Sked. We've been doing this together a long time. Skehaz equals Bowen Marsh. <laughs> oh wow! You know, I didn't. I didn't. I don't even have that in my notes. I just came up with it right now. There you go. He he literally disagrees with everything Barristan says, just yeah. like Bowen Marsh disagreed with everything John said. Um, how far will he take it though? So far, he hasn't risen up in rebellion against Barristan. Yeah, and uh, even wonder... though his his brazen beast probably could, I, I mean, Barristan might have yeah. the unsullied, but. Yeah, I mean, I think he knows that if he did that, and he'd have a two-front war on his hands between the Unsullied and the other people, the you know, the nobles that want them gone. You know, you're yeah, probably he's, he's... right. He knows that the Shave Pate, or the Shave Pate knows that he needs the Unsullied for this battle, and for the Unsullied, yeah. he needs Barristan, preferably yeah. Danny, but if not Danny, at least Barristan. So yeah, yeah. And what they really need are the dragons. Totally. That's what they really need. Which they don't have. And they don't have them. I I mean, they might happen to attack the right side, but it, uh, yeah, I don't know how anyone could feel feel secure in that idea. Uh-huh. You know, we often, this, this chapter points it out well, but oftentimes we just think of the end of Quentin Martell, his fa- failed attempt, and it ended in his death, and we gloss over the fact that it has completely just just thrown Barristan's plans into disarray. It's oh, it's caused so much yeah. just chaos in the city that Barristan does not need right now. Yeah. And oh, poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean the intent of, of, of Quentin in the story is, you know, to show you know, to show the non hero journey, right? To mm-hmm. to cast to cast a shadow on this journey that is so often celebrated. And, and yet really what happened is like, he caused mass hysteria in the city. Yeah. Not only did he screw (laughs) himself, but he screwed over a lot of other people too. Yeah. That's his legacy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, man. We love you, Quint, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a little biological warfare going on. Yeah. Yeah, get that uh, get that bloody flux back into the city, baby. Yeah. Ugh. This is gross. Good, yeah, good tactic. Disgusting, good tactic. Uh, not only is it, you know, the biological warfare side of it, but just from a demoralizing perspective. Yes. To have yeah. corpses raining down on you. Yes. Whether they have diseases or not, that's just... 
it's gonna it's gonna throw you off it's psychologically it's gonna mess with you yeah uh i want to talk strong bellwas just because i'm me please uh the return of strong bellwas the world will never be the same uh it's noted that he's lost two stone no yes. more americans and we don't use stone that often you got a conversion chart there for us two stone well, just for this value two stone is 28 pounds so as a as a heavier oh. guy myself okay let me That's tell it. you that he's not gonna be a sack of bones yeah as big as he was i i think i think i think george missed the mark on this one yeah 28 pounds 28 pounds i mean i mean good for him but good yeah the congratulations on losing 28 pounds bud you're gonna be quicker and more agile good job <laughs> you know like, it makes him sound I, like he's like a yeah i mean like i kill for that <laughs> right yeah well, exactly they make it sound like he's a a sack of skin that's that's walking around uh-huh. i think he missed the mark by three stone um you know like it's 28 pounds i mean i don't know how much he weighs but if he's as big you know, as they if, say he was if he's let's say he's 225 uh-huh he's now 200 pounds <laughs> you know like it's not it's not like he's a tiny individual right right yep. like uh well, you missed the mark. Yep. Yeah. But glad he's back uh back up and hungry and Yes. Ready yes. to do some good. I'm so excited. Yep. Strong bell loss for president. And Barristan notes in the chapter kind of his his, you know, sentimental feelings towards Bellwas, so we kind of forget that these guys crossed a bunch of Essos together. Just the two of them. And he does have a uh, special feelings for the guy, so. Yeah, but he. Let's be honest. As much as I love him, he has no place on the war council. <laughs> on the on the round table council thing, what is he going to offer? It's because they're buddies. Yeah, uh, the, I mean the <laughs> the catering budget will go up. You know, like. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a. Uh, you've been with me from the beginning, so yeah, yeah, you can hang out. Yeah. <clears throat> No. Uh, Green Grace. Maybe we talk about that later. Or you want to talk about it now? It just know. seems we, we've... so glaringly obvious to me that she's a bad guy. Yeah, feels that way. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we have anything more to say other than Green Grace, Hisdar, Harpy. It all feels related. Yeah, I don't know if she's the Harpy, if Hisdar's the Harpy, or whatever. Or but neither, and the Harpy is just a concept. Yeah, it's just the group is the harpy, yeah. but she's one hundred percent involved in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Like we're just told over and over again how loyal a friend she's been or whatever. I, I don't. Maybe I've just forgotten because the Green Grace bores me. Because as I've said in this podcast a lot, religion sometimes I just read really skip past it. I, I don't, I don't care about her role as you know, like a leader in the community. So maybe I've missed it somehow. But like, I don't remember her doing like a ton of great things for Danny. She talks the talk, baby. Yeah. 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 But, yep. All right. Shall we, you got, oh, uh, Tumco and Lash. Knighted, baby. Congratulations, boys. Yep. I'm glad we got to skip the ceremony, but I'm glad it happened. Yep. They're in, man. It was just a passing reference, right? Yes. Like as he was walking to the dungeons, he's, he was joined by his two newest knights or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, newly knighted. Yeah. Good we, on we him, boys. We didn't really talk at all about Garrison Arch. Do you care to? Ah. 
Um, I think it <clears throat> it was a good character moment for both of them. It gave sure. them some humanity. Uh, Archie, who kind of came off as the big lug, kind of started to show a lot of maturity. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jerris, who was kind of the figurehead and the 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 fancy looking front man of the group, kind of now is, you know, you see him kind of buckling under the pressure. He showed passion, so, but he's definite but, passion. Yeah, but he couldn't move control. forward. He was so caught yeah. up in this is Danny's fault. This is da, 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 da. and yeah. Archie's like, dude, it's done. Like yeah. he's dead. Like we just need to go home now. Like. Yeah, and I don't want even to take a boat, but says, it sounds like I've got to take a boat. So yeah. let's just do it. He even Garrus even says the line that he did it for love of Queen Daenerys. Uh-huh. Which is like, come on, man, how dense are you? Yeah, you you and I both know. <clears throat> oh, by the way, there's the question of did Daenerys laugh? Garrus says she laughed in his face. Barristan says she never laughed. Yes, she did laugh, but. No, did not she? in, but not in like a mocking way. So, oh no, yeah, she laughed. Back okay, yeah, yeah. She says she. Uh, he introduces herself. Himself, I have the honor to be Quentin Martell, a prince of Dorne, and your most leal subject. She was laughing at the name and, of the frog. And then it says, and then the next line yeah. is Danny laughed, and they're like, "Why are you laughing?" And she says, "Oh, because his nickname is Frog, and I just found out he was a prince." And she's like, I've heard the children's stories that you kiss a frog and he becomes a prince. And it's just funny to me. So she like clarifies why she's doing it. But she's actually very respectful to Quentin. Yes. They're yeah. both kind of wrong. Well, I'd, I'd say Barristan is right. She did not laugh in his face. She, she did not laugh at laugh, him. She laughing laughed at the in humor of the situation. Yes. Laughing in someone's yeah. face implies that you're trying to knock them down a peg, which was not her intent yeah. at all. Yeah, she found the humor in the situation. Yeah, laughed about it a little bit. So, all right, uh, okay. Danny, do we want to do want to go to the grand finale, man? Well, I don't know how grand it will be. I hope it's okay. A lot of pressure on this summary here. All right. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go, kicking it with the dragon kids and Joe Rudy. She knows just where she gotta go and won't be Tyrion. Look how Westeros here comes Daenerys Targaryen. The mother of dragons has grown dependent on one of her children. The unburnt has blistered hands recovering from flame. The stormborn is begging for a single drop of rain to quench her thirst. In short, Daenerys Targaryen has been reduced to a mere shell of the title she claims. But this is where we shall see the true Danny stripped down to her essence. But I'm ahead of myself. Danny was taken by Drogon to his fortress, a rocky spire with a shallow cave that she is taken to calling Dragonstone. But it is no life fit for a queen, no life for Daenerys. Living in this place, living off the dragon's charred leavings and water from puddles that the rocks collect. So she climbs down, no easy task, and makes toward a rivulet of water that she spied from Dragonstone. She had to leave. Drogon would not take her back. And though it killed her to leave her child who gave her wings who gave her flight, who made her whole. Her place was in Marine. Her people needed her. And a queen must put her people first. Danny walks through the paling Dothraki Sea, tapping her whip on her thigh. Autumn is here, and the grass will die soon with winter. So would she have, if she had stayed, freezing to death in the cold nights. 
but she finds her stream and follows it, all the while hoping one of her friends will find her, one of her Kalisar. It seems a hopeless journey in truth, though, and dangerous. She turns back to look at her dragonstone. It isn't too late to turn back. But the words echo back to her. If I look back, I am lost. So on she trudges, following the stream, her belly empty and her head pounding. She sees Drogon a few times as she walks, a speck in the distance, then later much closer, and later still he flies right overhead. Night comes and she finds, a vill she finds village remnants to sleep in. She thinks of Marine, of all her friends there, of her enemies, of the complicated moments in Daznak's pit, the locust, Belwas on his knees, and Hisdar yelling for Drogon's death. She drifts to sleep in dreams of Quaith. Remember who you are, Daenerys. The dragons know. Do you? She wakes and starts back to follow the river. She is tired and starving, but at least she has the stream for her thirst, for her hope. She finds a berry bush, her hunger overcoming her cost, and she eats from it, gorging herself. A mistake. She so throws up green slime for the rest of the day. Her stool is loose and grows fouler, shitting brown water by the end of the day. She grows thirstier and thirstier with every bowel movement, eventually passing out by the stream. She dreams of her brother this time. It's the blame and shame game from him. You betrayed me. You were to be my wife. Your husband cheated me. Those dragon eggs should have been mine. But Danny seemingly has no regrets. Good for her. She awakes and her thighs are th slick with blood. Her moon blood. Though she can't remember the last time that, she, that that had come. Several moons, she thinks. And she remembers the girl Drogon ate. The girl's name escaping her in the moment. And she mourns that little girl. And for the little girl she herself would never have. She forced herself to her feet, fevered and bleeding. She forces herself to walk. Following the stream as before, following it to Marine, she hopes, but not to her home. Her home was in Westeros, and Sir Jorah appears as a waking, walking dream to remind her. You lingered in a place you were never meant to be. Your blood of the dragon. Dragons plant no trees. Remember who you are. What you were made to be. Remember your words. She stumbles, and something emerges from the grass. She freezes, a stone in her hand for defense. A Dothraki rider, not one of her own. He doesn't see her as she is scouting the sky as he is sounding the skies for Drogon, who is a mile off. The rider bolts. Danny shouts as loud as she can, and Drogon comes. She mounts him. To go forward I must go back. They go in search of the rider and surpass him. They prey on a herd of horses running from them in fear. Drogon bathes one in fire and then lands, and they feast on it together. Riders approach. Danny stands next to her dragon, and that is how Jocko and fifty Dothraki found her. Mostly naked, shoeless, starving, bleeding, with a hunk of smoking meat in her hand, and a dragon by her side. This is Daenerys Targaryen, the Unburnt, the Stormborn, the Mother of Dragons, and the true Queen of Westeros. End of chapter. Oh man, I love that that's how they found her at her yes. most unvulnerable, queenly, like in the traditional sense, how you'd expect to find a queen. Just and yet, like, and yet gross. possibly more herself than she's ever been. Oh, she's at free. At the same man. time, she's free. Right? Yeah. Fire and blood, baby. Mm -hmm. Covered in like rashes from the ant bites. 
her hair singed off her head, her mm-hmm. clothing in tatters. Yes. And bloody. Just... Yeah. Uh, a lot to unpack here. So much to unpack. <laughs> I I didn't, I mean, I it was hard to exclude things in this summary. Sorry for its length. Um, yeah. Uh, let's just start with the moon blood. Can we just start with the moon blood? Okay, let's do it, man. So, I I said it in the summary. She thinks it's been many moons since she's had her moon blood. Yeah. I don't think it takes, I don't think anyone in the Kalasar doesn't know what that means. It means she had... A pregnancy inside, right? Or, or p- p- certainly women skip periods sometimes, so like that could be it. But several is rare, I think. Um, certainly, she's in some pretty strange conditions. Stress maybe can can cause that, but it certainly feels like she had a pregnancy in there and miscarried. Yeah, that is the conclusion I arrived at too, and just you know. First of all, apologies to our female listeners if we totally screw up some of this uh, women's health stuff. Uh, <laughs> two guys yeah. talking into women talking about women's health could get dangerous. It uh, could. Um, it, not only does she she can't really remember the last time she'd had a period, but she she also says she couldn't remember having such a heavy flow. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is also you know quite so. telling. So. Yeah. I mean, part part of well, I'm sure they take all kinds, right? Right? I mean, we've my wife and I have been through two of those, and uh, you know, they were not they were not easy things. <laughs> so, like, sure. when I when I hear her waking up, and it's happened, and you know, it's been several months since she's had one that that's not, you know, a tiny, tiny little, this is getting really graphic and I'm sorry, but, um, it's hard for me to believe that she just slept through it, I guess, but I'm sure there are all, all kinds. I certainly didn't go read up on how all of this is possible, but it feels to me like that's where George is trying to go thematically. And, uh-huh. um, I don't know. Yeah, man. So um, go ahead. So how did it happen? Well, um, so what happens is a man and a woman uh, get together. Tell me more. And uh, no, I'm done. That's all I know. Um, hey, so you, you have two kids, man. <laughs> well, you know, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> I know that they're yours. <laughs> I've seen these children. They are yours. <laughs> Those are little assholes like me. <laughs> Uh, I love you, boys. If you listen to this, I love look, you so much. They look just like him, just blonde, cute as cute as can be. Uh, so quite energetic. Very too much. <laughs> uh, I love him to death. Uh, so where was I even going? Uh, the berries? Oh d- no! Well, just how did it happen? So. Could be Dario's, could be Hizzy's. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the berries could could have brought it on. Certainly just her not not treating her body healthily. Yeah. She, you know, she has it with the past week's withdrawal gun could have done it. Um, 
you know, or, you know, they just happen. Sometimes you do nothing to make it happen, right? Totally. Yeah, um, totally. You know, so, you know, who, who knows? Uh, the, the more interesting thing to unpack is what it means for the future to me. Um, you know, the idea is that she was barren, that she could not have kids. Um, and this proves that maybe it was possible. Yeah. Um, and what does that mean for the rest of her prophecies? Um, you know, maybe we'll unpack some of that in Davos After Dark, but I don't know. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is we've gotten all of the prophecies that Danny's heard. We, we receive them through her, through the Danny filter. Mm -hmm. So when she says, I can't have kids because of this prophecy, we're inclined to believe it. Yes. When really what we're reading is her interpretation of prophecy. Uh, and so that's very interesting. Well, there are words directly from Quaith, but you're saying they're, that's the word she remembered Quaith saying? But yeah. Maybe not... And then she goes back and she remembers it. It's the same thing of why we sometimes believe the, uh, the three treasons, right? Is because of who Danny thinks they are. Yep. Like, yeah, I guess that could be her, but. <clears throat> yeah um just a tiny little thing i found it like you said it's it's not as important as where it's going in the future but she mentions that the berries that she ate tasted bitter yeah and first of all i did a little bit of reading i'm by no means an expert uh there are certain berries juniper berries for example that can induce a miscarriage mm. um but uh she's she says that what i what hit me was she said that there was a bitter taste and it was a taste that felt familiar to her. Mm. Remember that? It's just a little mm -hmm. line. And yep. she's like, uh, probably they just, the Dothraki seasoned their meat with these berries and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, she did drink something that tasted of sour milk. It's a, the quote, she tasted sour milk and something else, something thick and bitter. Oh, so she specifically calls out bitter. And it was a drink that guess who gave her? Mary Mazdur. Mary Mazdur. Hmm. Sue. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Rago and stuff. Yeah, the, Rago and stuff. Yeah, but the timeline on that is sketchy because she gets the drink after. So I went back and kind of skimmed those Danny chapters at the end when chaos erupts. Um, she gets the drink after the whole events with the tent and seeing the beings dancing inside the tent with Miri yep, and then the yep. fighting outside it happens. And then Danny does what we assume goes into labor where yes. she feels a wetness in her thighs and pain in her stomach. And she like passes out eventually. Right. Yep, yep. And then she wakes up and she has like two or three times where she wakes from sleep and goes back to sleep and wakes yep. up. And then on the third time she finds out that Rago had been born while she was out and that he was stillborn. Um, but the first time that she wakes up, she is given this, this milk by Mary Mazdur that tasted mm. bitter. So the timeline's a little sketchy. Um, well, yes and no, I, I could see that. So Mary Mazdur, uh, it, you know, follow along in this fantasy. Uh, Mary Mazdur sees the pregnancy is in trouble, uh -huh. wants to end it. And so gives her this to 
force you know force the miscarriage right right yep could be yeah i mean as late a term as you can get as tragic as that yes. is but yes absolutely <clears throat> yeah but, I, I, that's not a very callous i didn't mean it yeah. to sound that way oh, i know you didn't sorry everyone um but, uh, yeah i just again probably not as important as what happens in the future but i thought that was an interesting little connection potentially let's let's move on to something a little more cheery <laughs> dragons are shitty pets you didn't do nothing man it doesn't feel like drogon's really taking good care of her up there on that cat on that uh dragon stone yeah but and, and then it, so like he doesn't save her any food yeah <laughs> he's not like doing anything for her to like try to keep her warm or anything he'll take her flying that's nice it's yeah. like an entertainment package hop on and then it, there's this one time it says the last time he flew right above her so close she could hear the sound of his wings almost like he was like checking up on her to make Protecting sure she's okay yeah. i but thought that like, too maybe like i wonder if drogon has kind of an intuition of like danny needs to do this or something and he needs to give her space or something i don't know if he has that type of intuition that he you're giving him like direwolf level connection i really am and i'm not sure that i can but well we haven't seen that but uh, but also danny hasn't given her dragons the time of day to to forge those bonds either absolutely not not for a long time totally for the start kids it felt pretty immediate Mm -hmm. um and it certainly didn't feel that way with danny but i don't know that is interesting, though, to draw that parallel between the yeah. relationships with the with their animals. Yeah. <laughs> a little funny thing. Uh, I love Danny's trying to build to make a hat. Yeah. To protect her head. She can't even do it. She says, "You are blood of the dragon. You can make a hat." <laughs> I just love that little line. A little, a little, a lot of little things. Uh, how she notes uh how she gets the blisters on her feet which she giggles that it must just be because of the way she walks i must walk kind of funny because they're in the Uh same spot on both pinky toes yeah like just little things that like she's a girl Mm -hmm. you know like she's just a little girl and removed from marine and all these pressures and stuff like i don't know and also maybe going a little bit crazy yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> She's giggling at the blisters on her feet. It's like, oh, okay, you've been out in the sun too long, sweetheart. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, you've been point, there. You've you've been there though, well right? Taken. You're, like, you're your alone. There's well nobody taken. there to talk to. Yeah, you're just kind of like. Yeah. But I, what's crazy about this chapter is how you can mine it for symbolism too, though. Yeah, it seems like this chapter is just dripping with symbolism. Um. Like, even that hat one, I called it out as, like, uh, being a little bit, maybe a little bit deeper meaning in that yes, she's the blood of the dragon. She's meant to be a dragon rider, a queen. She is meant to have other people who make the hats. She's not the hat maker. Someone yeah. else is meant to make hats for her. And also, She's got something bigger that she's supposed to be doing. And also something that... that uh that I think it's Jorah says later in the chapter um, that dra- dragons plant no trees. Dragons plant no trees. What a dragons, great line. Dragons don't make hats. Mm-hmm. Like, n- not even that it's left for somebody else, maybe, but like, of course, you think you, you can't do that. That's not what dragons do. Yeah. It's not going to work for you, man. Mm-hmm. Like, 
blood and fire Daenerys. Yeah. Yeah. But so go ahead. I I was just going to go into more of the symbolism, but maybe you are too. No, I wasn't go. But like it talks about, um, she looks back at the, the hill Dragonstone, right? That she's called this hill. She's named Mm -hmm. it Dragonstone. She says, not too late to go back. There were fish in the spring fed pool. There'd be scraps, charred bones with bits of bits of flesh. In other words, she could survive kind of living in the shadow and being dependent upon Drogon. Mm-hmm. She could survive doing that, but she is the dragon. Yeah. And, you know, there are bigger things, but there are bigger things on her horizon than Dragonstone even. Uh-huh. You know, all of Westeros is what she's going to, man. She's going to the river, dude, the life. Like, she's, her past is not what's going to propel her forward, right? Yeah. Although it does say to move forward, you must go backwards and all that crap, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Yes. Uh, what was some other stuff you know? There's some cool stuff in here. Um. um well, just uh, the river. Rivers are always, you know, rife with this kind of thing. Sure. Um. Yep. But this tiny trickle of a river. Um. You know, usually in these stories, the trickle of a river turns bigger, right? And yep. gets bigger and, and and implies a sign of hope and. Mm-hmm a sign of, uh, you know, everything's going to be okay in life and, you know, all these things. And in this story, the river doesn't get bigger. Nope. You know, and Professor Scad coming out, rivers don't always flow into bigger rivers. Nope. Sometimes they die in the ground and they <laughs> they just dry up, right? Yep. <laughs> just saying. And in this tale, it's not, it's not a river that provides, it's not water that provides her life and vigor. It's her dragon. It's fire. She's been yeah. following. Oh, she's been it. following this river, this you know, this life-giving essence, um, you know, for two days or whatever, and it's the dragon that saves her, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's what she meant when she said to go forward. I must go back, um, but but she needs the dragon. She can't. She can't fool herself by walking away from it. She's got to figure out how to control it or do something but she's not walking away from being a dragon rider and and being you know having the dragon tied to her fate yep totally and the river the whole reason she was following the river was to get back to marine right right and that's it's almost like that's not where your path lies nope right nope and she realized uh it says her tokar and veils she had abandoned in the pit Mm. you know she's talking about how little clothing she had symbolic of of her giving up that that life yeah um i found it kind of interesting her whip and the rags on her back were all she had taken from marine whip can sometimes be symbolic of slavery a little Mm -hmm. bit and i thought that was interesting word usage there slavery was all she had taken from marine uh kind of it's also indicating her legacy the clothes on on your back is also sometimes imagery or, or words used to describe what slaves own just the clothes on their back True. So, so she's Good both point. like yeah. the master with the whip and the slave in a and sense. The slave, yeah. Uh, to mm. like a slave to her destiny, look but at also us. the master of it. Look at oh us my gosh! Look at all this man. stuff. Wow. Um. Let's see. The erudition flowing out of our mouths is belies our actual level of education. <laughs> oh man! So I had some major tinfoil though. Oh yeah, do it. Forget all this meaningful. 
literature crap. Give me tinfoil. Well, it's actually not too tinfoily. Um, she talks about how the ants that bit her were an yeah. irritant, yeah. but did not stop her. And then she equates the wall they had to climb uh, to get to oh, her. She says yeah. that that wall, you know, that must have been like someone having to climb that wall in Westeros <laughs> to, for them to climb over that wall. So the ants are the others in this? So the ants are the others, and they were an irritant that could make her uncomfortable but couldn't stop her. And in the end, she's going to stomp them just awesome. like she does the the little ants. That's cool. Is she, though? God, I hope she is. I kind of... Oh, people are going to hate me for this. I kind of like her more than John. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> uh, I like Danny a lot. I've, I've my appreciation for her has fallen through the roof on this reread, but I think I still like John a little more. Yeah, yeah. I like them both. Yeah, they're both great. Um, I flew. I, I threw in some Alicia keys for you, Scat. Oh, I love it. I know how you love, love Alicia. <laughs> I wish, but yeah, no, no reckless love. She talks about a few a or not not Alicia, Danny. A few aches and empty belly chills by night. What does it matter when you can fly? She says, I would do it all again. Uh, if I fall and die, it still would have been worth it. Which is great lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Alicia Keys, she's got a song, How It Feels to Fly. Don't want to come down. Hope my wings don't fail me now. But if I can touch the sky, I'd risk the fall just to know how it feels to fly. Is very similar. beautiful imagery uh, yes. about reaching for what you want to reach for. I I thought of you, Scad, with the Alicia Keys thing and had to throw that in there. You know, I got to get me some more Alicia Keys. I've only got the one album you recommended. I listen to that one a ton, but I got to get more. Uh, the one that has Reckless Love. This yes. one is, oh, it's the one where she's dressed in like a purple outfit. I don't remember what it's called, but it's a good one. Yeah, believe it or not, I don't know her albums by what she's wearing on them. Well, apparently neither do I. But uh, I, you know what? I'll go look for it. It's called The Element of Freedom. Oh, cool. It's that. Uh, you have the As I Am album, right? Yeah, right. Don't you have? Yeah. This is the one that came out after that, 2009. In case you guys didn't want, didn't know which albums Scat owns, now you know one. <laughs> so uh, pick up The Element of Freedom. It's a good one. All right. Uh, so did you have more with that uh, others irritant thing? Nope, that's it. That's why I said it's not a huge thing. Can we talk a little bit about like so the imagery of how Jocko finds her is amazing. We touched on that. Yeah, but like, what's gonna happen? Mm-hmm. So like, so so first of all, maybe he's not with his whole Kalasar, but it notes that there's fifty of them. He left with twenty thousand. Yep, half a hundred. Uh huh. Um, he left her with twenty thousand when he when he departed. Yeah, Drogo's Kalasar. Mm-hmm. So maybe he needs help, or maybe he's just part of a party that's gone ahead, or something. 
Yeah. I don't know, but it, it certainly could be read that like he's in trouble. Um or is this like battle? The first time I read this, I was like, "Oh shit, like she better get on Drogon cuz they're going to fight her." Right. But maybe not. You have to think he's not going to immediately recognize her. I think. Oh, I think he, I think he'd have to, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have heard the legends. Well, maybe, yeah, if he'd heard about the dragons and everything, and probably he knew about the dragon eggs and everything. Which he would have. But uh, you're right. I mean... I guess it could go either way. He he might not recognize her immediately, but I'm pretty sure he's going to put it together. Right. But, I mean, they had some bad blood. I mean, he's the call of of Mago, who was the one that that had that whole Arroway conflict, right? And she said about him, I swear to you... These men, Jaco is one of these men, will die screaming. Right. That's her direct quote talking about Jaco. So I'm wondering, you know, the the Dothraki respect strength. Mm-hmm. Is she just gonna fry this guy and take over? Mm-hmm. And it'll only be fifty to add to the probably seventy or so she's got left. Right. But um that could be how this goes. Yeah, the dragon changes a lot. I mean, he's obligated by Dothraki law, what little Dothraki law there is, to, to take, take her, back her to the Dosh Kaleen. Right? Dosh Kaleen, yeah, to live out her rest of her days in Vaes Dothrak as a crone. Um, but yeah, Drogon changes everything, man. Yeah, it does it did for the people that stayed with her? Um, and yeah, I don't and know. May- maybe she sees this as a way to kind of start her great Kalisar type thing is start with Shaco and build yeah. from there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on the, the Dothraki respect power thing. And she could fry Shaco and and the rest would probably be like, OK, we'll join up with you. Uh huh. Yep. We're all yours. Yeah. Yep. You got us. But it's a good question you ask about how many does she actually have? Does Jaco have? Yeah, he's got fifty, is it 50 here. Or, or is that just a small party and mm-hmm. he's got the full complement somewhere else? Yep, we do not because know. he because I think he did depart with the second biggest of those of those uh, calls. The other guy that left, I think, took more. If I remember right, maybe I'm wrong. He might have had the bigger one. Anyway, <sighs> you got anything else for the Danny chapter? Um, gosh, do you want to talk about prophecy now or later? Mm. We really should talk about prophecy at some point. Let's talk about it. Is it in our dollar sector drugs? Oh, it is. All right. Let's do a that. A little then. bit. Okay. All right. Well, oh, so yeah. we should, yeah, uh, let's definitely do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, uh, thank our Patreon supporters then. Is that uh, time? yes, indeed. Let's do it. Um, so thank you to everyone. Here's, uh, you know, as we do every other episode, we like to thank all of you who uh, contribute to our Patreon program. Um, we appreciate all of you, but uh, especially at the dirty cab driver level, thank you, Jacob M. Lady Fatass Red. Jeff H. Archmaster June, Healer of the Lesser Poxes. Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donneris. Sarah from Texas. Colin Yu. Sir Stormtheus Snow, the Bastard Storm. Blood Reiner. 
Uh, Sir Steverin, the Blue Raven of the Lightning Peck, whose words are, The way must be tried. Whew. And Alexander G. And at the reach-around level, we have B-Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And uh, we also have Josh C., Warden of the Reach, around. And at our Team John level, we have Misa, Queen of Love, Queen of Gifts and Beauty. Thanks, everyone, for your support. Love, too. She's great. Yes. Love y'all. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this uh, section of the podcast. We are moving in to super spoilery segment called Davos After Dark. That being said, we're not spoiling that much anymore because there's really nothing left to be spoiled. There are some Winds of Win, uh, Winds of Winter sample chapters out there that may come up during this conversation. Um, so we'll just preface it by saying that, and we'll better safe than sorry. We don't want to spoil anyone who is saving those chapters for when the book is published. Uh, but without any further ado, let's jump into Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. The last Davos After Dark. The final. Yes, indeed. This is the final Davos After Dark. Because when the next book comes out, there will not be the Davos After Dark, right? I mean... Well, maybe maybe there would. Oh, I get maybe there would. We have to talk about that. Well, because we're going to read the whole book before we start our analysis of it, right? Yeah. Let's not have this conversation right now on the cast, but... (laughs) Here we are, working things out the way we normally work things out. Yep. This is kind of how we do it. Right now. (laughs) <laughs> just while everyone's listening all right we already talked about what's going to happen in old town um so is there anything else that you would like to bring up with that uh mm, uh we didn't talk much about the sphinxes the riddle not the riddler stuff um I, i'm interested to see what happens with with sorella alaris um she was told to protect Sam. Sam's going to go to Horn Hill. Maybe she goes with him. A little side side journey. I don't know. That'd be cool. Um, but the Sphinx is the riddle, not the Riddler. Maybe maybe what that was meant to mean is that Dorne is the answer that Danny's looking for. Oh, maybe. That Sorella is a metaphor for Dorne. And that Sam is supposed to take that to mean that the answer to the riddle for Danny is Dorn. Is Dorn? But I don't know. They're spending so much time on Dorn that yeah, you got to think has some sort of significance. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I maybe briefly mentioned this. I guess would probably be clear back in our prologue chapter. Actually, um, I thought of maybe the Sphinx being. The riddle might go back to uh, skin changing and wargs and and stuff like that. Uh, yes. With the sphinx being a human head on an animal body, right? Yes. And kind of that combination of human and animal mm-hmm. could provide, could be the key to everything. We've talked about maybe Bran skin changing into a dragon at some point or, you know, how that might all work out in the end in in the fight against the others we don't know but uh that'd be cool if that was something to do with it indeed glass candles i don't know we have much more to talk about them 
the Palantir of West of the World of Ice and Fire. What is the glass oh, candle? Glass candle, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about Marwin specifically? So, like, he's he's jumping this ship. He's racing to Danny. We think he wants to help Danny. It seems like, but it's. I mean, assuming that Danny lives through the Kalasar that's hunting her, or, or that's found her, or whatever. Assuming she lives through all that, which would be a huge bait and switch to have or not. Uh, it's a crowded room, I think, for like advisor to Danny. You got her grandfather. You got probably Jora, probably Tyrion, mm-hmm. all the Marinese people that she's already surrounding herself with, and then this Marwyn got plus plus probably the Ironborn, um, Victorion, yeah. Then 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 this Marwyn dude just shows up and is like, "Hey, I've got your answers." Yeah. Like, uh, and he's not exactly the most. I mean, yeah, is it going to turn into like a Quentin type thing? Right, kind of what I was thinking. Like, she's just like, "Look, dude, you should have come, you know, three books ago." Uh huh. Right? Where have you been? You had this glass candle. You couldn't even see me. Come on, bud. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, I've got I, all these other real world problems now. You know. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. You put this as one of your notes um, in the upcoming battle. We're going to have so many different participants. Is that going to kind of thin the herd in terms of people who are around Danny? You know, will, yeah. Barristan, will Barristan survive? Will Tyrion, I imagine he will. What about Jorah? What about Victarion? What about Dario? Um, no, Dario's going to die. It has to happen. You think he's going to get killed off? Just so that I can stop reading his damn name in these books. I'm so sick of Dario. <laughs> she even thought about him in this last chapter. Oh, no. Just be done with the dude. Come on. Give up. Ah, she still his, I mean, me. his his penis must just be fantastic. He's got to be amazing. He's gotta Moving be, on. Uh, just hung like a maniac. We kind uh, of already went through this with the high tower, but there's something going on. I don't have a whole th- theory written down or whatever, but I, I really believe that the High Towers, you read all the names that they read in that Sam chapter. Like, there's a million of them, mm-hmm. and they're all they all seem like capable dudes and and stuff. I feel like they could be a major trump card that gets played, or maybe they're just the big name that George sets up to fall before Euron. So it could just, go either way. Just get knocked out. Yeah, yeah. Could go either way. Yeah. Um. Just looking back into history and how George seems to dabble in the history repeating itself narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, Otto Hightower was a famous Hightower hand of the king and everything. His daughter actually married uh, King Viserys and their grandson was Aegon, or Otto's grandson, excuse me, was Aegon, who was who the, the Dance of the Dragons was kind of built around, was... Mm. Uh, talking about who was going to be heir. Was it going to be Aegon or was it going to be Viserys' other daughter, Rhaenyra's? Um, mm. So that would be interesting if uh, the High Towers kind of ended up playing this crucial, pivotal part in this war that seems to be coming. Um, perhaps the Dance of the Dragons, Volume 2, Aegon versus Daenerys type thing. The dragon, the so, dragon eating itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, they're going to play a part. Mm-hmm. A big part. I I predict a very big part. 
It could be that they just end up getting smoked by Euron, but I don't think so. All that stuff that we mentioned, everything just coming together. Euron and the Horn of Joraman and everything. Not to mention the whole Deep Ones thing. The oily black stone that that uh, that uh, the high tower is built on right yeah and... it's always a black stone man it means something like it's just so much backstory to put in there for for it to be nothing right uh, it's mind-boggling yeah. but as you and i talked about off air i'm at the point now where i'm just ready for it to happen <laughs> yeah just, just give it to me man feed just it to me feed whatever it, it me, looks George. like I'm, yeah. I'm done trying to figure it out on my own. I'll take it monthly. You've got I'll do the pay spoon. a monthly subscription. Yep. You can put the IV in my arm and just give me a hit every month. Whatever, dude. Just let me have it. Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Um, if we're ready to move on, yeah, tell us more on. about uh, Tyene. Oh, yeah. Well... So those on our Patreon already have read this theory, probably. Yeah. Uh, and it's wafer thin, I admit it. Um, but when I was reading this part about Circe being assigned novices from the faith um, to kind of attend to her, I thought, well, you know who's coming? Tyene is coming to, like, worm her way into the faith with the High Septon. Yeah, she, she is. Could be, she could be one of these people that gets assigned to Circe. Uh-huh. And she hates all things Lannister. And she could murder her. Uh, now that's a bit far, as some in the Kalasar have uh, pointed out on the, on the Patreon. They've gone a long, long way to make the Valonqar thing mean something. And it'd be a, a lot of wasted themes and stuff if Tyene really was successful in poisoning Cersei. But... Um, you know, as we kind of battered, batted it around on Patreon a little bit, maybe something else happens with Tyene being, you know, in that role. She aims for Cersei and she gets somebody else. Tommen or Food Taster Boros or, you know, somebody else. Mm-hmm. She misses and hits Marjorie. Who knows? But the point is, it. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyene ends up, even if she just gets some information or is overhearing something or is a spy or something, it would not surprise me at all if Tyene ended up one, being one of these people that's waiting on Cersei and manipulates Cersei in some way um, in that role. That's the theory. It's speculative. I think it's fun. Thanks. Occasionally I try to have fun. But yeah. I don't make a habit of it. Well, look. In the... Um, so listen up, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so they describe the three novices. Well, they mention that there are three novices who are serving Cersei, who are kind of there doing their job when Kevin is at dinner with her. Mm-hmm. One is described as freckled. The other uh, is described as having like a pockmarked face or something like that. The mm-hmm. third one is maybe conspicuously not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. Germ goes to lengths to describe at least two of them. And Tyene, who's described as having fair skin and obviously very beautiful, uh, is not even described. So that could be a little something. Um, you know, they talk about how the the novices were in their soft white woolens. Each seemed more innocent and unworldly than the last. And then Tyene, 
You know, Nymeria describes her as so sweet and gentle that no man will suspect her. Uh, Tyene herself says, why not? White suits my coloring. I look so pure. (laughs) Yeah, she fits the she fits the role like a glove. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where um, Nim says that she wanted to kill at least four people. Uh, She says four lives will suffice for me. Now, this is Nim, not Tyene. You have to yep. think Nim and Tyene are close. They They're might... the same person. Yeah. She says, four lives will suffice for me. Lord Tywin's golden twins. So that includes Cersei. As mm-hmm. payment for Aaliyah's children. So two for two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old lion for Aaliyah herself, who's already dead. Dead now. And last of all, the little king for my father. So Tom. she wants Tom. So Jamie, Cersei, and Tommen mm-hmm. are who's left. Um, and you already mentioned it, so I mentioned I'd bring up Boros. I think that's why he's not looking well. Kevin points out specifically that Boros is looking worse and worse. And I wonder if Tyene is slowly poisoning Tommen. And um, oh. not maybe not like all at once, but she's slowly. So he's going to, it's going to happen, you know, just kind of over time, maybe. And uh, Boros is getting bits of that as he tastes Tommen's food. <laughs> And that's well, she, why he's not looking well. She can't take too long. because uh, So what, what you're proposing actually is that she's already there and she's the one that's not been described yet. Yes. Maybe that's true. She came ahead of Nymeria. It's possible. Um, but she's only got seven days because they rotate those novices out after seven days. Mm-hmm. So, so the poison can't take too long. Unless she's finding yeah, some other way to get to that food or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I but appreciate no, you backing yeah. up my thin theory. That's fun. It's fun to think With about. Some facts. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely fun listen, to think about. Listen, when Wins comes out and this happens, I'm going to gloat so hard. <laughs> it's like it's, me with Matt's Rhaegar. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not going to happen. Don't worry. This is wafer thin. All right. Move, shall we move on? Um, yes. Do you want to go back to Danny? We can. Yeah. Let's do it, buddy. I don't know if I'm ready for it. But... Prophecy. Prophecy. Bite your bite your wiener off, man. Bite your prick off. As, as Marwin says. Yeah. Tell us what you're thinking about things. Well, you know, just the miscarriage thing has me thinking, and I don't know that any of this is original. It's been a long time since I looked at Danny's prophecy stuff. I'm sure. In fact, I'm sure it's not original. Um, people have poured over this thing backwards and forwards. But with her womb quickening, seemingly, uh, you know, it it makes you go back. Like, have these other things happened? Because what what it says is, when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, when the seas go dry and the mountains blow in the wind like leaves, when my womb quickens again and I bear a living child. Now, mm-hmm. she hasn't born a living child, not to completion. Um, but she is bearing one until this until this miscarriage happens. Um, yeah, and bear can mean carry. It can, yeah, it can just mean carry, right? Yeah. So, and the womb did quicken, right? Clearly, yeah. Because if if it is a miscarriage, so so when the sun rises in the west, Aegon, not the sun, but the sun, right? The S O N. That sun has risen in the west. And sets in the east, the sun and the sun, S-U-N and S-O-N, being Quentin, who is now set in the east, in the chapter before this one. 
when the seas go dry, she's actually in the Dothraki Sea, which is mentioned multiple times in the chapter, is, is you know, drying up and, and dying. Um, and the mountains blow in the wind like leaves. This one's a real stretch. Maybe Drogon on Dragonstone. He flies from the mountain. <laughs> He's black like the mountain. It's a it's a huge stretch. That's one I didn't really have an answer for. Maybe you can fill in the blank for me. Nope. Um, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, when my womb quickens again, which we saw in Bear Living Child, which is happening now. So, just kind of like, we might be there. You know, we, we, we might have seen these things if we can come up with some way that the mountains blow in the wind like leaves. Um, you know, we might have seen the full, full, fulfillment of this prophecy. Or, you know, as we're always careful in this podcast to say, this is perhaps an example of how far you can stretch prophecy to try and make something fit. Right. Yeah. So. I don't know. Oh, I've kind of shifted my thinking on prophecy. I used to always try to, like, decipher them and everything. Mm-hmm. As we do. That's fun yep. to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm moving more towards being fascinated by the effect that prophecy has. has on the characters themselves. Like the Valonqar and how, and Cersei. how it guides their actions. Exactly like yeah. Cersei and the Valonqar. That's one of the things that came up on the Patreon discussion, actually, is just with the Valonqar, it's like, maybe the Valonqar has already served its purpose by driving her so crazy that she has driven herself toward death, spiraling out of control. And that that is has that it has been her undoing, right? And so it doesn't even need to come true. Tyrion has driven her so crazy that she's driving toward her own death anyway. That was one of the kind of cop out reasons I gave. Like maybe Tyene theory can still work. But uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, you had a probably a more specific thing to give for Danny, yeah? Well, not so much. I, I just you know you find in these books that if a character believes in prophecy, it like you just said with Cersei, it guides their actions. And oftentimes it causes them to maybe do things they wouldn't normally do. They start to compromise their, their, I guess we'd say morality a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Jeff Brendan B. Fish talks about this in one of his essays too. Um, Based on the prophecy that they're so hung up on. I think of Stannis being willing to kill Edric Storm. Yeah. Uh, I think of Rhaegar Targaryen, mm. you know, and, yeah. and and having the, the three dragon heads or whatever. You know what's uh, you know what's really interesting? We mm. we've drawn parallels between Danny and and John a lot in in this reread, and Danny has been so well, tainted is strong, but but affected affected by this prophecy from totally Clay. yeah and and john who is the recipient or the the answer to or the key to one of the biggest prophecies around <laughs> probably right yeah 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 doesn't know it and has stumbled into virtually the same problem that danny has whether you believe the prophecy or don't even know about it you're still screwed yep by prophecy mm-hmm Still gonna bite you in the wiener. So what can you do? What can you do, Matt? The fates will get you, whether you believe them or not. And maybe that's what George is trying to say. Maybe. But, but yeah, I wonder if it's less a message about here, figure out this prophecy I'm putting in, and George is more trying to say, look at what 
this can do to a person. Yeah. Whether for good or bad. Because on the flip side, you know, maybe believing something of yourself that you are, you are a chosen one, that there's something special about you, you are a unique snowflake, can can help you rise to the occasion, can motivate you to be something more. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Use use what you need to use to get yourself to the next level, right? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, but at the same time, like you like you noted with Marwin, uh, and it's not just Marwin. Well, George has warned us lots of times, um, you know, about prophecies being bogus. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I don't know. In in some in some ways, yeah. It, it I, I bet. I mean, people would hate it, but in some ways, it might be kind of cool. If just like prophecy was garbage, none of it came true. None yeah. of it mattered. And uh-huh. these are all just words. Words are wind. How many times do we hear that? Words are wind. Do things. Take the crown. Do ride the dragon. Fight the other. Do things. F- fuck the prophecy. Yeah. Stannis can kill others. Right? Totally. And, and yeah, and what better illustration of that maybe than someone like Cersei, who this prophecy just drives her nuts. Yeah. You know? I love it, man. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool if he was making that kind of statement. <sighs> I've said it before, I think Danny's going down a bad path or maybe not a bad path, but I think she's going to come in uh ready to roar when she comes back on the scene. No more making compromises for her. Yeah. I think Beefish also wrote quite a bit about that too, if I remember something I read a while ago from him, but He's got a whole essay on it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I tend to agree. I don't, I don't know how. But, go ahead. Well, I don't know how violent and like angry and destructive it's going to be. Yeah. As much as pragmatic and like, no, this is how things are now. I'm leaving to go do these things because it's what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. And sorry, Skahas. Yeah, you might die from the nobles. If you want to pack up your shit and take the road with me, you're welcome. But I'm leaving. And I don't care that this army is at my back and is going to retake Marine. Like, just a much more pragmatic sense. Or you... she might be like, and also double double middle finger. I'm going to kill the, the army first, too. And leave destruction in my wake while she does it. It could go either way for me. Yeah, like if you try to get in my way, yeah, I, I, I'm not letting anything stop me this time. Yeah, You try to stop me, you're just going to die. Yeah, And then when she gets to Westeros, you can do it my way, but... or you can die. But as 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 simple as I made that sound, you know, like just being more pragmatic and she's just going to go do it, there were very good reasons why she didn't do that before. Yep. She had all these people, her children, that were calling her Misa and flocked to her uh-huh. that she will be condemning to death if she just leaves. Yep. They will die somehow or become slaves or, you know, something. And she's going, I, I believe, and maybe Jeff said this first, I'm, I don't remember, <laughs> probably other people everywhere have said it, but... I believe she's going to make that choice. She's going to be very decisive about it. She knows who she is. This whole chapter was based on Quaith and Jorah and, and her brother and everyone telling her who she is and to remember who she is. And she's going to do that and she's going to leave. And there will be lives in the wake. For I, sure. I agree with you. That whole symbolism that we were waxing eloquent about when we were talking about Danny, I think points to all that. Yeah. You know, the moment she gave up on following that river and called for Drogon... 
and got on his back and flew on him again. Yeah. I think was that was the mo- when she just went foop and turned and went, I'm not trying to get back to Marine anymore. I'm trying to get on my dragon. Yeah. And uh, and I agree with you. That's that's I think what the symbolism of this chapter is pointing towards of the direction Danny's going in. So, but but it's all a slide. So, it's all a sliding scale, right? Okay. Yep. So she could just mount Drogon right now and go to Westeros. Mm-hmm. D- does she do that? Well, no. She probably wants her other two dragons. Yep. Okay. So she goes and gets them. But does she? Okay. Well, she's but very does, does much she want, changed does her she mind want, on Jorah. Right. Does she want Jorah? Does she want Barristan? Mm-hmm. Does she want Missand? Where does it stop? There's a line somewhere where it's like, okay, no, that's enough. I'm not taking Straggler Child number. 1278 but i will take straggler child 1277 and she's gonna make those decisions now is what you're saying yes i'm not gonna carry my whole group of people my freed slaves through the proverbial desert with me again right i just don't know where that line is but yeah it's it's a line somewhere if Mm -hmm. she's like super eager about it it could just be her and the three dragon kids yeah but my guess is she's gonna try to take She's going to determine some, who can some help ironborn, her. Some ironborn contingent of ships that will take a percentage of her people with her. Yeah. I doubt it's all of them. Can you provide value? Can you help me in my yeah. quest in Westeros? Okay, then come. Sorry, you're not going to help me? Sorry, you're staying. But, uh, yeah, I don't see her turning into this maniac that's just going around burning everything. I think that would no. totally destroy this character that Gurm is so carefully crafted. Yes. Uh, as someone who's constantly fighting that battle between the blood of the dragon and this kind-hearted Yeah, I don't think she's going to become girl, Crazy Ares but, or yeah. anything. Yeah. Crazy Ares. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. But it's going to be less careful and more pragmatic. Yeah. More, I got a job to do. We're going to do yep. it this time. Yep. No more side roads here. Yep. Is that a good place to end this? Well, you got more waxing philosophic about where Danny's going? Nope. Uh, are we are we ready to do a sign off then? Um, I think we are unless you have any other points you want to cover. I don't think so. Okay. I didn't mean to shut down your Davos after dark. I felt like we covered it all though, didn't we? We we totally did. Yeah. We totally covered everything we wanted to cover. It was going to be a shorter segment anyways. Yeah. And I feel good yeah. about it. So. Okay. Great. All right. Well, I've had this sign off in my back pocket for like months now. Ooh. <laughs> uh, great song by Billy Joel called Famous Last Words. Fitting, right? Mm-hmm. And what's cool about this is... <clears throat> this was on his last album, River of Dreams, his last studio album that came out in 1993. And it's the last track on that album. And it did end up being his last recorded studio words on an album out there. Just kind of fitting. Hmm. Uh, these aren't our last words ever, so not quite as, as significant. Oh, it's but, about uh, to last you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry, guys. Don't get scared. But they're still fitting. So this is Matt signing off. And these are the last words I have to say. It's always hard to say goodbye, but now it's time to put this book away. Huh? And that's the story of my life. 
These are the last words I have to say. That's why it took so long to write. There will be other words some other day. And that's the story of my life. Good night, everyone. Lovely. And mine is much less poetic as usual. Maybe we should make me go first. Uh, Never. (laughs) Mine is paraphrasing something from from the Danny chapter. You are the Kalasar of Davos Fingers. You can make a hat. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Sometimes you just need to jiggle. You just need to jiggle things a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I prefer more than a little. You, you give know? it a get a little shake. Yeah, a little shake. Um, you know, a little stroke. Yep. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. If you can just give it some love, it'll just sing. Sometimes, man. <laughs> you just gotta love it, right? It's an it's an image. I'm not sure I wanted to conjure. Well, should we try to just revel in this for just a second? We did it. Yeah, well, we haven't done it yet. I could die of a heart attack before we finish, but uh, yeah, I think we're going to make it. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It really is. I I mean, four years. To the day, really. I mean, if you, it depends on where you start from, but I went back through my emails and I found an email thread on the 10th of uh-huh. July where we discussed like the schedule and how and when we were going to start and stuff like we had the co- we had the conversation on the 10th that like kicked off our scheduling and like when we were going to start and everything yeah and you you sent i actually have i actually have it in my uh i put i copied one of the parts of the email down you actually used your ermagerd in, in the email <laughs> this is ermagerd best spreadsheet ever not I did notice that I missed one chapter on my first sketch. Damn, I made up for it on week eight, where we'll actually be discussing seven chapters. Deal with it. Whoa. So excited. <laughs> yeah, seven, because remember when we started, the first episode was six, not five. Wow. Do you remember that? I don't. Our very first episode, we did six, two each, right? Uh-huh. And then we're like, oh my gosh, they're too long. Like, That's we, amazing. We can't yeah. do six. Oh my yeah. gosh, I can't so, imagine. <laughs> In the second episode, we switched it down to five, I think. Mm. But, uh, and then Brooke actually replied, awesome to the max. I just realized that I've given away both my copies of Game of Thrones to new converts, and I need another print version so I can highlight and take notes. You're welcome, George Moneybags R.R. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Those are two emails from the 10th of uh, July, 2014. Wow. Oh, yeah. we were such sweet summer children, full of life we and yeah, not a care in the yeah. world. And I used the yeah. word "skedge." Skedge, wonderful. And you swore yeah. in that email. I know you were trying to make a good impression or a bad one, but you you swore in that email. Man, a parenthetical grown, swear. I've grown up so much. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. Okay. Wow, take that out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We don't take much out, guys. <laughs>
Anyway. All right. (laughs) I had some issues with it. I didn't like the droid very much. Um, Although that... The the sex droid? (laughs) L3, was that who it... What her name was? Although I did love the little Easter egg of... Um, her consciousness her going the into, the Falcon, yeah. into the Falcon, and then, yeah. and then three PO, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, talking about how he'd had a conversation with the Falcon, and she spoke yes. in a queer dialect and stuff, and was really weird uh-huh. and everything. <laughs> that was great. Um, yes, I was I was pleasantly surprised by Alden as well. I almost dare say I liked. I thought I was going to love Donald Glover, and I did like him a lot. But I think yeah. I liked I think I liked Alden's performance even more. Yeah, it's sixes for me. I like I like them both a lot. the The first moments you see of Donald as as Cal Risen, you're like, oh my god, it's just That's perfect. Him. Yeah, it's him. But as as he eased in, it was it was less magnificent than the than the first moments for me. But it was still great. It was mm-hmm. still great. Um, I didn't. I had some quibbles with how they kind of handled his character and stuff. I, I didn't love some of it, but. Anyways, this this yeah. isn't a review of yeah yeah we don't want to do yeah, a full review solo. but it's hard you guys it's hard for us not to talk about it together we like not talked about it on purpose for a while and let's talk about it a to... little bit and we'll we'll stick it at the end um, yeah okay yeah that's fair so I like um, when Han was trying to like uh, negotiate with Lando for taking him to Kessel and everything I thought I didn't like how Lando just kind of he kind of went belly up and kind of went with it i didn't really like that very much How, when when han was doing that or when uh when woody harrelson guy woody harrelson yeah yeah. When, yeah yeah woody's character was doing it I yeah know, well i didn't kind of weak and i couldn't quite get what he was trying to do it didn't make sense but it didn't make sense in the moment but when you saw that the millennium falcon was booted it made more sense didn't it maybe a little bit yeah that he like he was he was hard up like he kind of needed it he needed but, anything. But, yeah, something. Yeah. 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 I just imagine Lando being a little more sly than just kind of just bending yeah. over and taking it. But I didn't love that. No, that's true. But he was going to, you know, by bending over and taking it, it was taking, at that time, a quarter of the total take. It was something getting something. Be setting you up for life, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, maybe maybe taking it is still a little strong. But, but I see what you mean. Um the the part that bothered me really about it, I guess, is just like I'm not sh- I'm not sure how hard I want to come down on it, but like technically Han owes Lando a ship from that first Sabacc game. Yep. And it, they never bring it up again after Han wins the Falcon back. Like Lando should have been like, well, no, that makes us even or something. But no, I don't know. That bothered hmm. me a little bit, but it's quibbling. But uh. Overall, though, I loved Lando. I loved Han. Uh, I liked okay the origin story with Chewie and, and Han. Um, I wasn't expecting it right there, uh, and, and I thought and I thought it was okay. Um, yeah, it was kind of convenient. He's thrown into this pit with a Wookiee and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but again, like like major plot points aside, like what like really what it did for me, I felt is it explained how Han was when he was young. Mm-hmm. how he became the person that he was in the middle and made it a it made if if you want to look at it this way a more believable arc for the original films from going from where he was to where he ended up by knowing where he came from 
It right? totally fleshes everything out. Right. And, and it, it makes that arc believable. All he was looking for maybe, you know, was the love of a good woman to kind of bring him back to that hopeful side. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that kind of it, I think this film helps illustrate that. And it even kind of helps illustrate the the later Han Solo in these new films of the guy who left, you know? Yeah. And you can kind of see why he would maybe do that, why he might get scared of, of, of things spiraling out of control and it's just easier to go back to being a loner or something or go back to what he knows. Uh, it explains a lot of that. But. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Loved it. From a character perspective, quibbles with the story aside, from a character perspective, I thought it was excellent. So Yeah. I right. That's it. where I am too. There there were yeah, I had, I had little quibbles with the plot and stuff too, but uh it moved well. Every moment I was in it, I, it felt to me like a Star Wars story. Um yep. even even though it was more, you know, it was it was less, you know, epic and sweeping, you know, more focused on this kind of theft heist thing, but uh -huh. but still I it just kind of felt yeah, yeah, I liked it too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I loved it. Yep. Hey, Kalisar, hope you enjoyed the episode. We had some really cool songs in this episode. Only two of them, but they were great. First is How It Feels to Fly. That's by Alicia Keys from her album, The Element of Freedom. We are big Alicia fans on this podcast. She speaks to my friggin' soul. And uh, speaking of speaking to the soul, Billy Joel, the first artist I remember listening to. I must have been three years old and uh, my parents always had him blaring in the house as I was growing up. But uh, we used his song Famous Last Words from his really great album River of Dreams. So hope you liked it. We love you guys and uh, let's go mount the world together. Love you. Bye.